and welcome to Headcanon. I'm Benjamin Light. I'm Marco Sparks. And I'm Raquel Henson. Thanks for joining us, Raquel. We're having you on because you suggested the movie for this episode. Yeah, because it's the best it's the best goddamn Christmas movie ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is how you've described it every single time. <laughs> and I appreciate that. It's the only way to describe this movie. Yeah. It's a great movie. Yeah. Okay, when did well. you see, see guys see this movie for the first time? Since you're old mm-hmm. enough to have possibly seen it the first time it came out? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. I probably saw parts of it when it eventually aired on like Fox Network, edited for television. Uh, didn't see in the theater. That was like only eight when it came out. Um, hmm. I've actually never before, you know, a few days ago when I watched this for the podcast, I'd never watched the whole thing beginning to end. I'd never seen certain parts of it. Hmm. This has been a fun year for headcanon because, like, I haven't seen this movie in, like, 15 years. But, yeah, probably the same thing. I mean, I wanted to say, I wanted to joke, like, I saw it when it first came out when I was in high school. But, no, um, I was probably very young. <laughs> saw it on TV. I, I have it later in my notes, but watching it on TV with my mother, and I had to ask my mother, what is it? what is a neck snap? Like, what does it mean when you snap someone's neck? And she's like, uh... <laughs> And I'm like six or seven or whatever. Um, yeah. Thank you, yeah. John McLean. <laughs> uh, well, I was born in 89, so I didn't see it when it came out. Wow. But, <laughs> uh, I think I was like nine or ten when I saw this. I have older brothers, so mm-hmm. I, I probably saw a lot of movies way too young. But mm-hmm. I, I was just curious if there was any chance. That I definitely saw a lot of movies in theaters that were probably like the same rating when you guys would have been around this age. So, um, yeah, but no, my parents wouldn't even let me see the Batman movie when it came out when I was like nine. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. God. yeah. I want to say the first movie that I it was like a rated R movie, and I was still I felt too young to go see it. Was when somebody snuck me in to see like RoboCop two. <laughs> And I was just like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. The usher's going to, like, throw me out any second now. Oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. Um, which is dumb. Like, they gave I, a fuck back then. <laughs> I think there's a lot of things in this movie where you can be like, they didn't give a fuck back in 1988. Like, not yeah. a single one. Yeah. Um, I took my daughter to see Doctor Strange, and she's four. And she, like, 45 minutes into the movie looked at me and said, this is not appropriate for me. So, nice. Uh, and you're like, who taught you the word appropriate? <laughs> yeah, her older brother, definitely her older brother. Yeah, he needs to teach her how to say problematic. Mm-hmm. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. remember for somehow somehow when I was young, I had Die Hard two, like I taped it off HBO or something, like kind of like thirty minutes in, and so I would just watch that because that's what you did back in the day before the internet. Uh, no. So I seen Die Hard too, like the like the, the last ninety minutes, like a bunch. How did you describe it to me before Rogue One the other day? I don't know. Did Did you say that it was perfect? Did you say it might have been a perfect movie? Die Hard. Die Hard Two. I don't think I said it was perfect. No. Okay, you had like high, ridiculously high praise. I, I don't remember. recall that. No. Yeah. <laughs> Die Hard Two is totally cheesy. 
<laughs> but like you, you get were to like, see a guy get sucked into an airplane engine and stuff like that. I I think you're thinking of like a conversation if you had with someone else, not me. You know, <laughs> so we I definitely did not say it was perfect. We were waiting for our <laughs> asshole friend to say it, but you you might have said something like it's got like a perfect opening or something like that. And I, I was like, oh, should we do Die Hard 2 for the podcast? And you're like, No, I, eh. I said I've never seen the opening. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's a discrepancy there between perfect and never seen it. I haven't, like, because my tape started after he like kills a guy on the baggage claim or something. So I, I don't know how that. So you begins. didn't see like, isn't it like naked William Sadler in the beginning or something? No. Something... Oh what? wow! Now we have to do this movie. There's a weird like Rashomon thing to us sitting in Rogue One hmm. and talking about this movie now. Okay. Well, yeah, this movie I had never watched the opening at all. And I hadn't seen it in 20 years, um, moving into my opening statement here. So this okay. is the first time I've watched the whole thing. Um, some of it's like totally new to me. Uh, and I, I thought it was a delight. I'd say this is a perfect movie, not Die Hard 2. Um, <laughs> maybe not as you know deep as your art house or Oscar winner, but it's just so perfectly conceived and executed. Uh, it really just seems like they don't make them like this anymore. Like the script is so tight. Performances are great. Alan Rickman's amazing. Um I don't know what else to say. Just like everyone just nailed it. I feel like you could teach a film class on this movie. Mm. Like I know as a kid, I remember thinking like the action was cool, but watching it now, like I'm pretty impressed that there's like a lot of little subtle moments like with Holly or with Gruber, uh, just like really smart characterization. I'd say I mm. probably enjoyed watching this more than any of the other movies I've rewatched for headcanon so far. Okay. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like, you knew the parts of Indiana Jones that you liked, and that was just confirmed for you. Yeah, yeah, because, like like I said, I'd never actually watched this thing beginning to end. Like, I didn't realize there was a whole working woman versus stubborn husband plot in this movie at all. I thought she just, like, left her husband or something. Right. Holy shit, Holly Gennaro's awesome. Um, I'm going to go now only because mine is short, and I'm really curious to hear Raquel's. But uh, I actually had a dream the other night, real quick, I just want to say, where... We did this podcast and I had accidentally for some reason watched Color of Night instead. <laughs> and I was like trying to keep up <laughs> from memory. But uh, this is a movie about like an American cowboy action hero, anti-hero, like fighting German terrorists in the Japanese business tower in an era when gas is 74 cents for a gallon in Los Angeles. So it kind of tells you the setting. But like this movie is basically a blue collar action institution. I mean, how many countless scripts were produced and described as die hard on a plane, on a Air Force One, on a boarding school, on a Navy battleship, on a train, on a hockey arena, on a city bus, whatever. Um, it's a it's a great fun movie. The eightiesness of it is lesser to me um, than most of these movies, and it was a fun movie to rewatch, especially. Like where Alan Rickman's career went after this, you know, especially where this podcast has gone, talking about Alan Rickman or unfortunately the horror movie called 2016 has devoured him. So I don't know. I was I was really enjoying rewatching this movie. Uh, Raquel? Uh, I mean, obviously, I suggested this to you guys, but mm-hmm. uh, this movie's brilliant. I it's my favorite action film. Uh, you said like you could teach a film class on this. I actually watched this once in a film class nice. uh, in college. So um, it's just, it's everything you want in an action movie. The dialogue is great. There's the right amount of tension. The stakes are believable, but high. And it's, uh, this is Alan Rickman's first film role, which like, holy shit, 
and you can't get better than a German villain named Hans Gruber played by Alan Rickman. Like you just, where do you go from there? Um, and John McClane is, you know, the reluctant hero. He plays it perfectly. Um, I can't say enough good things about Holly. I loved that character. Um, I just, I love, I love this movie. It gets all the big things right. Um, and uh, yeah, it's the best goddamn Christmas movie ever. I, you know, I will, I will fight anyone on Twitter that wants to say this is not a Christmas movie. I have many points on this matter. <laughs> to the death. Exactly. What if the act- next one is called It's a Wonderful Die Hard? Uh, see, I, uh, the sequels. <laughs> no. <laughs> they, well, they dropped the Christmas thing after a while entirely. Yes, yeah. And they dropped the it being a good film thing. After <laughs> yeah. A well, and the and the the blue collar thing for sure. The, I, the the grounded stakes, obviously. Yeah. I think Michael Scott said it best in that, you know, in the first movie he's just an everyday Joe, and in the fourth one he's like this weird action hero. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. you mentioned he's, the second one, and it's like it's die die hard to die harder is actually. <laughs> the, <laughs> That's what it said on the VHS copy when my yep. family read it. Yeah. But yeah, when he starts to lose hair, it, yeah, and it goes. Um, I, swear, I have it in my notes here for some reason. I don't know why. One of the guys in Hans Gruber's crew is the model for Vigo the Carpathian. I just uh, apparently had nowhere else to put that. Sorry. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, let's get into our top moments. Any honorable mentions? I have a few. I, I have know. a general top uh, or honorable mention. Okay. Why don't you go first then? Uh, to just like the opening sequence and of all the super like 1988 moments of the first five minutes where like John McClane carries his gun on a plane. He was smoking <laughs> in an airport. Yes. Holly told her female employee to take a drink. And as Marco already mentioned, gas was 74 cents a gallon in Los Angeles. Like all of that was just like, Oh, this is definitely like 25 years ago. The great thing about all those moments is that you would think like if you if you put out this movie now, people would be like, oh, we get it. It's the 80s, you know, like like it would seem like you were like making a joke or something. But I think all those moments aren't really intended to like date itself at all. You know, it's just at like all. normal moments like, oh, yeah, it's just packing on an airplane. Yeah, no. <laughs> TSA would not give a fuck about your 11 years of being a cop. <laughs> yeah. Well, and some assholes always glad to tell you the secret to air travel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how many honorable mentions do you have, Benji? I have three. Wowzer. I have yeah. two. So why don't you go first? Okay. Uh, well, one of mine is when Holly McLean slash De Niro punches out the reporter Thornburg at the end. It's, <laughs> uh, it's just so satisfying. You know, it's like, God, you, you hate that guy so much. He deserves to be decked. But, but. Is it William Atherton? Like that guy is like one of cinema's like top ten assholes, though. Oh, we have another one of cinema's top ten assholes yes. in this movie too. Yes, a guy <laughs> whose first name is Hart. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, speaking of which, my number my number five is Hans Bubby. I'm your guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh shit. <laughs> I forgot about this guy. That guy is a better like that guy than anyone has ever been. Like it's yes. it's just like the perfect '80s asshole. One of my favorite things as a listener of this podcast is whenever you guys are like, "Ugh, that fucking guy." So, <laughs> so always point that out. 
Let me ask you a question. Is it possible that uh, what's his name, Christian Bale, might have been copying Hart Botchner for Patrick Bateman? Um, like, can you imagine if he shaved the beard and Hart Botchner was like, Chrissy, don't just stare at it. Eat it. <laughs> I would say more some of his friends strike me a little more as like the Ellis type. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely uh, Justin Thoreau. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, my honorable mention number two is the look on Han Gru- Hans Gruber's face when Holly comes in and tells him that there's a pregnant woman there. Like, he has this look of just like, oh, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Alan Rickman's so good at this. Are you serious? There's alcohol here. <laughs> anyway, um, the my number four is the walk and talk, the fucking walk and talk at the news station with Thornburg. Um, and then he's just like, eat it, Harvey. And Harvey, the news anchor, glowers, glowers <laughs> at him like a serial killer. And then they're back on from the commercial. Oh, no. Eat it is apparently the worst thing you can say yes. to this guy ever. Yes. Like, he's going to not only murder William Atherton, he's going to eat him later. <laughs> uh, you have yeah. one more honorable mention, Ben? I have yeah. one more. It is another Gruber moment. It's when he's talking <laughs> to uh, the boss, whose name I don't have in front of me right now, but he says... Takagi. Takagi, yeah. He says, nice suit, John Phillips, London. I have two myself. Rumor has it Arafat buys is there. Yes. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's part of his performance or like of like pretending to be someone he's not, like to fool everyone, or if that's literally like he, you know, that's just him as a person, but I love it either way. I don't mean to brag, but I mean, but like as an 80s kid, Yasser Arafat was on the fucking news every other day. <laughs> um, well, it's like no one could ever be like more suave and sophisticated than Hans Gruber. Seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a Hans Gruber podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I would be not broken up if he had won <laughs> at the end. I think that's when you have a good villain, though, when you're like, well, I'd be okay with this. Like, yeah. All right, so uh, Raquel, what is your number three moment? Uh, the ventilation duct scene. Mm-hmm. The I think my, I mean, yeah, it's like very iconic now. Like it's on a fucking mural, <laughs> like at the <laughs> studio. But um, it's a it's a Christmas ornament we've just discovered. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> kind of upset that's not uh, on my tree, but. Yeah. Um, no, it's the it's the mumbling to himself that John McClane does in that scene, like as he's crawling through this air duct, like that just I don't that does it for me. I I don't know. There's not a lot of that in action movies now where there's like that these smaller character moments while they're doing this giant thing um, of like, you know shirtless you know almost shirtless <laughs> by the way this movie really helped me figure out that i was a heterosexual woman with uh, all of the tank top wearing that john mcclain does in this movie but grimy tank top wearing yeah from white to brown <laughs> there's there's not a lot of consistency from in that one um like he either does something that we don't see or they just decided they're like fuck it he's bloody all of a sudden um but yeah, I know just the, the mumbling that he does to himself. I, I like that. Mm. Mm. Um, 
Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so my number two, uh, I'm sorry, I got lost in my notes, is uh, when I'm, I'd say a lot of my favorite moments are kind of arbitrary because there's like, I could have nine. Yeah. It'd be no thing. You know, it'd be hard to rank them too. But when Hans Gruber has shot Mr. Takagi because he won't give him the computer code, Carl and Theo then exchange money like they had bet on whether or not Takagi would give it up. Mm-hmm. It's like such a small, ridiculous moment, and I love it. And then especially as I'm going through my notes again, and I'm like, God damn, Theo looks fucking familiar. And I find out that he's uh, the guy who was like on Matlock. <laughs> I think um, you're the only one of us three who watched Matlock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like I said, I'm 105 years old. Uh, my number three is when Ellis comes in and tries to negotiate with John. I mean, you already mentioned a little bit of this, but oh, man, that guy, that fucking guy. He's so horrible and yet like so perfect. And Did like they give his, him the sorry, go ahead. The way he keeps on like kind of like he like gets all emotional with John on the phone and then he kind of covers it up and like winks at the, uh, at Gruber, you know, like, haha, we're in on the joke. And Gruber's just like, no, we're not. <laughs> you may think, you know what you're doing, but I'm going to shoot you soon. Yeah. I was gonna say they give him the wrong kind of Coke at the end. Mm, yeah. RIP. Uh. What, what a tool. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, my number two. Uh, I wish that I could do the the Alan Rickman voice the way that Marco does, but I can't can't do it. Uh, but now I have a machine gun. Ho ho ho! Just <laughs> I the presentation and everything of that. Like it's it's like almost action movie poetry. But then you get the like benefit of it being read in the voice of Hans Gruber. Um, just fan fucking tastic. I love that moment. Um, I also would like to say that I am like on my podcast talk probably like 70% more than Crystal so I tried really hard to only have like four I was like I'll give myself one honorable (laughs) mention but I like probably could have had like 30 so I tried really really hard to narrow these down it was tough (laughs) for me because I was like I don't know I just liked all of it you know it's like hard to actually narrow down like what was your absolute favorite yeah well, like when I do the notes, I'll I'll put like three, two, one, you know, like a placeholder, and then I'll I'll put a four if there's necessary, and then I realized I had like five number ones, <laughs> and I was like, well, that's not going to work out. That's going to be weird. Um, yeah, actually, number oddly enough, my number two is the exact moment that Raquel's talking about, but everything before it too, where like Hans is explaining to the party, like I wanted this heights to be professional and efficient. I can't do the voice now. Um, but everything like leading up to now I have a machine gun, ho, ho, ho. As he's explaining to them, like, calm down. Like, I, I'm i a professional terrorist or whatever um, with his pseudo-German accent. And then later on, I want us to really get into, is that a good idea, bragging that now you have a machine gun? Tactically speaking, yeah, I'm not sure. but Okay. Did you? Number two? My number two is the jury-rigged C4 bomb. Uh, after the terrorists start using a rocket launcher, he kind of like plugs a bunch of detonators into it and puts a monitor on top of it and throws it down the uh, elevator shaft. That always just seemed so cool to me as a kid. Like I didn't really understand why that worked, but it was like, sure. Yeah, I guess that C4, you just throw it down an elevator shaft, it blows up. Well, like 
think about as an American, like what age were you when you realized what C4 roughly was? <laughs> Probably far too young. <laughs> I mean, as like you're playing with Play-Doh and shit and you're like, yeah, C4. <laughs> Oh, I probably. Only, at, sorry, good. I was just gonna say, I imagine that there are kids out there building C four out of Legos right now <laughs> somewhere. Like, I think this is probably the first time I watched the movie that I understood what he was doing and why it blew up because of the uh, CRT monitor. But yeah, it all was like, cool. Yeah, so my dad was in the military, so I always had to watch movies and like any explosions or gunfights or anything. Like I had to get a lecture why, like why that's not how that works. So <laughs> that kind of shit's ruined for me sometimes. But you know, whatever. Yeah. I don't do that to my kids because I don't want to ruin their fun. Um, <laughs> but. Interesting. I'm curious what you would ruin. Would it be explosions, like like munition stuff, or would it be like like a girl would never say that to a guy in a movie, just so you know. Uh, no, it was always like the technical stuff. Like, okay. mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, okay. no. My father was a firm believer of like a girl would say whatever the fuck she wants. So. <laughs> no, no. I mean, what you say to your kids. Oh, no. Just I just don't want to. The suspension of disbelief is important to me. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. <laughs> I hope you never have to explain like what it means to snap someone's neck. <laughs> Oh, uh, no, actually, uh, the the line between like fantasy and reality, though, uh, is is something that like I was pretty lucky with my older one because like, you know, you don't want them to you want them to be able to enjoy stuff, but you don't want to have nightmares that like like Harry Potter is a pretty good, good example because he's mm-hmm. super into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, like I wouldn't let him read past the fourth Harry Potter book because shit kind of gets dark after that. Mm. And uh he like sat me down uh, about a year ago and was like, listen, I understand the difference between fantasy and reality. I just want to read these books. Can you please let me? <laughs> um, I promise I will I will come get you if I get scared, but I'm fine, really. So the first of many times he has to sit you down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, speaking of suspension of disbelief, uh, <laughs> my number one, uh, it's where John like leaps off the tower after strapping a fire hose to the building and it explodes (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i don't i like this okay so like we talked about how the the sequels are super ridiculous because he just becomes like an action hero within the movie um but like in this one like he thinks he might die like when he does this like he he doesn't know that he's gonna survive and um so, and it's like an incredibly stupid thing to do, but he does it anyways to try and save the day. So, well, we and also the, cool shit exploding. And then we get the visual of him uh, kind of like pushing off the window and shooting the glass. Like that was always really cool. Yeah. Well, like I think I had read where like it wasn't until like halfway through the production where him and John McTiernan, uh, who I guess later went to jail for tax evasion. Weirdly enough, um, realize that the the secret that John McClane is he's actually like he hates himself, and there's like this reckless fatalism to him. So yeah, I mean it's it's so different from like somehow crashing a car into a helicopter midair or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my number one, it's a very brief moment in retrospect, and I thought it was much longer in my head. But it's when Hans and John McClane first meet face to face and Hans has to pretend to be a runaway hostage and he's like oh god 
please don't kill me, which yeah, I always that's my like number an, one like, too. <laughs> like an orphan black, whenever one of the clones, like whenever fucking Tatiana Maslany has to pretend to be one of the clones, pretend to be one of the other clones, I always love that. Like when you're doing like double the role, his, his um, and panicky American voice is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And apparently it, a lot of it was unrehearsed and improvised and it shows that it's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, that was my yeah. number one, too. I love that scene because you're not sure. You're like, oh, shit, John, what are you doing? Don't give him the gun. And it's like, no, 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 John's a little smarter than that. Like, he figured it out. Yeah. Uh, any complaints at all about this movie? <laughs> So, uh, when I was starting my notes, I just copied and pasted like my breaking dawn notes because of like the format that you guys have. And I was just like, Oh, I'll just copy and paste it. I'll fill it in. Um, and I'll go back to different areas and I didn't ever come back to complaints. So my only complaint is literally no Anna Kendrick in this film, (laughs) which I stand by, I think. Um, yeah. That's a valid complaint. (laughs) can't wait till you get to like Carl's marble cock later on in the movie <laughs> or lack thereof. You're like um, yeah. John McClane constantly hovering around Renesmee just really creeped me out. <laughs> like CGI, the pregnant woman at the party's baby. <laughs> I think that's the only place that still has remnants of, uh, of twilight, which, you know, thank God for that. Yeah. Thank God. Uh, so no Mar- complaints for me. Yeah. Yeah. Marco, any for you? Um, no, not really. I mean, it's such a fascinating artifact. I feel like I just, I want to appreciate it for its time period and what have you. Yeah. I, I had no complaints. I don't know. I wouldn't change a damn thing about this movie. It's just, it's perfect how it is. Uh, it works. I love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess retroactive futuristic complaint two words jai courtney Uh, we don't talk about jai courtney on this podcast i actually have various jai courtney notes like uh when we get to the kid i want to be like if you go back in time and like kill jai courtney in the crib would you i feel like you talk about jai courtney all the time on this podcast and like in fact probably some of your listeners didn't even know who jai courtney was until you guys Kept saying that guy. So you're saying they hate him too? That's good. They should. They should. Yeah. But. <laughs> but yeah, just moving into general discussion, just the gun on the plane. It's so like, whoa, the 80s. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There are certain things in this that like, it's like, well, that would just never happen anymore <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I think that's the biggest one. Um, like, and the smoking in the airport, probably. What about the babies ready to tend bar? <laughs> what the fuck does that even mean? I don't like, know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, have a few drinks. Well, like, because the pregnancy's gone on long enough that she feels like the baby's old enough, or like the mom's an alcoholic. Yeah, it's like, it's one or the other. It's like your baby's already had quite a few drinks. Like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> like, like, Holly's like, I really regret bringing it up. <laughs> We've been um, meaning to get Linda from HR to talk to you, actually. Yeah. Your your baby's going to have some health defects, so uh, we're upping your uh, your health care. Um, 
My first note is, holy shit, look at how uncramped that flight is. Look at how uncramped L.A. is in this movie. Mm. Like, the traffic is, like, nothing. Yeah, okay. and I hear that's not the case. Uh, Crystal lives in L.A., and forever we are waiting on something because of traffic. So One of my uh, favorite... One of my favorite general L.A. things in a movie is it's a terrible movie that at some point I think Benji and I might rewatch for some podcasts called In the Land of Women. Okay. Uh, <gasps> yes. Oh, which features case two. Features case two and features, starts with Adam Brody getting dumped. And then the next scene is him telling his mom about it. And she's like, oh, my God, you got dumped. When? And he's like, an hour and a half ago. I've been in traffic this whole time. <laughs> Oh, in the land of women. Holy that's shit. A, that's a bad yes. movie. Yeah. That's such a bad movie. <laughs> it's a wonderfully bad movie. Can we talk about uh, Argyle, the limo driver, a little bit? Yes. Just um, how, how he doesn't give a fuck? No. Oh, he, talk about barking up the wrong tree for a big tip. <laughs> but I feel like this was, like, in the 80s, it was okay. You just, like talked a bunch of shit to each other and like things. I don't know. Like I, I, I like this guy's vibe. He's like, not just like going to be quiet. And like, even after McLean tells him to shut up, he just ignores him and keeps that messing with him. Yeah. And I mean, I think now, like if you made this movie now, like the John McClane character would def- would actually be irritated and actually be pissy, but he wasn't like, mm-hmm. um, he was like, yeah, this is what this guy's going to do. This is how I'm going to handle it. Like, well, it's like later when uh, Al Powell goes to the the mini mart and he gets a bunch of Twinkies, and the guy at the counter is just giving him shit about it, and then like they both just laugh it off, and like I don't know, it's such a weird vibe. Like it's like were the '80s actually like that, or just was this just what '80s movies were like? Well, like I'm always fascinated, partly because of this fucking podcast, but just in general, my love of movies. Whenever like I, I read about how a movie you know, the script is still being worked on or what have you during the production. And apparently a lot of this, these character moments is because they were still filming Moonlighting, like at the time. Mm-hmm. Like Bruce Willis had a day job and then he came at night and did like Die Hard or whatever. And so the Stephen D'Souza and all the other, and, and Jeb Stewart or whatever his name is, were like, yeah, let's, uh, let's just focus on the other characters and give them more like weird shit to do. Oh, you know, that, um, that does remind me. I forgot to say uh, directors, writers. Uh, directed by John McTiernan, written by Jeb Stewart and Stephen E. D'Souza, based on a novel by Roderick Thorpe. It was released July 20th, 1988. There you go. Yeah, which is like technically a literary sequel to a novel that was later adapted as a uh, Frank Sinatra movie. <laughs> so for a long time, they held out that this would be the sequel featuring Frank Sinatra. <laughs> no. That wouldn't work. Um, but like because of Netflix, I rewatched Rising Sun not long ago. Why? It's like well like <laughs> why well, first of all, you're like there's literally nothing else on. You're insane. That was a great movie in the nineties. But uh, like I don't know about that. <laughs> compare the depiction of Japanese corporation like <laughs> in this movie to Rising Sun. Well, this movie only has a little bit of Japan bashing, whereas yeah, by the time we got to Rising Sun, there was a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still not over the fact I didn't realize this movie came out in July. What? Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Blockbuster. but Christmas summer blockbuster. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the part that I'm 
I, I was amazed it wasn't written by Shane Black. Like, just in my mind, I was like, oh, that's a Shane Black movie, right? He likes Christmas, but no. Oh, shit. Like, when did Lethal Weapon come out? Like, comparatively? Probably around the same time. The year before. Okay. Um, yeah, so John McClane, man of the people. He sits up front. Um, and then we find out the limo has everything, including CD, CB, TV, telephone, full bar, VHS. I would have led a full bar. Um, <laughs> CB would have been like the last thing I mentioned to like the person no, I picked up. Because this was the 80s, though. Like, Raquel, I don't know if you ever like remember this, but like there was a time when like the idea of a limo getting TV in it was just amazing. It was like, man, that's the fucking high life having a TV in your car. Uh, yeah. I think after a Born while, like, that went away. Did you ride in a limo in the 80s? Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't ride in any limos in the 80s, but, uh, you know, shockingly. But, um, no, I, re- I mean, I remember, like, I remember the early 90s enough to know mm-hmm. that, like, this – I, I understand why this is like <laughs> fully loaded. I'm not that old or not that okay. young. Um, mm. And plus CB was highly, uh, that was highly helpful to the plot of the movie. So to the point where like, I feel like John McClane should have been like, Hey, is that going to be an important later? <laughs> Cause otherwise, what am I talking to truck drivers? Fuck off. <laughs> well, because Which I never, also... sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was to say because I never saw the beginning of this movie before. I never realized that Holly, you know, Gennaro slash McLean was like a director at the company, like that she was like a big shot and not like for in my mind. I just never like questioned why John McLean had a limo driver, like because I I think by the, whatever recording I had of this, it was like thirty minutes in as well or something. So I didn't realize that like that's why Holly's here. She's like like a working woman, like a big shot at this company. Like it totally changes your whole perception of her character, I feel like. Oh, if God. you see the first half of the movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, <laughs> Benji and I grew up in this bizarre era, which you grew up in too, but at a younger phase, like of like when you would record shit on your VCR from TV, like pausing for commercials and shit. Uh, it was mm-hmm. Weird. Um, I mean, I remember like being like a goofy, weird little kid and being like, oh, shit, this James Bond movie is on like ABC on Saturday night. Um, but yeah, I just oh. I never put together <laughs> that she was like second in command, essentially, at this company. Yeah. Um, also, I wanted to point out to director of photography, Jan DeBont, mm-hmm. who would later direct screen or uh, speed screen speed, um, and which Twister. is just weird. Which yeah, is Twister. Die Hard on a Bus. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, uh, Speed 2 Cruise Control, which was Die Hard on a Cruise Ship. Yeah, yeah. God, which, that... you know, never so, mind Keanu, Mr. John Wick himself, but uh, it propelled the career of one Sandy Bullock. I saw that movie in the theater. Oh. I just saw John Wick, actually. Oh, really? I, I really liked it. Yeah. <laughs> Just in time for the sequel? <laughs> Uh, oh, I didn't. I didn't even know there was a sequel. I, I haven't seen anything in theaters that, I mean, especially now that Disney owns Marvel and Star Wars. I mm. literally only see Disney movies, so that's you know. Yeah, you're pretty covered there. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Exactly. Um. So jumping ahead to the party, 
John McClane is really bothered by the guy kissing him on the cheek. I love his like, Jesus, fucking California. Yeah, a little well, 80s gay panic there. Which is what we do in California. <laughs> well, California, I, hello. I wanted it before we get to the party, though, like. So there's the scene where like John gets to the office building and he's signing in and he like makes the assumption that Holly mm-hmm. still has the last name McLean. And that like that whole computer system thing like scene is really stupid because <laughs> like the security guard has them go through the him go through the whole process of like entering in a name. And then he's like, oh, yeah, they're the only ones in the building. Like, well, then what, what the fuck? Like, why did you make him do that? But uh, but I, I don't know. I really enjoyed that she was like, you're not coming with me and I'm here for my career. So fuck you. I'm taking my own last name. Like you can keep yours. Well, well I his think excuse the, is bullshit. Well, I think the movie doesn't really take his side very much. I mean, you could argue maybe it does a little bit, but like he's basically shown like, like she's set up. She's a big shot here. Like you're kind of the dinosaur who insists on staying in New York. Mm-hmm. Well, and Argyle says the thing, he's like, you, like, in the car, he's like, oh, so you assume that she wasn't going to make it, so mm-hmm. you didn't think moving was worth it, and, uh, and like, John does not deny this at all, he's <laughs> like, you pick up quick, you know, like, so. Yeah, John McClane's kind of an asshole, like, shocker, uh, spoiler, uh, he's kind of a dick, um, and she's amazing, but yeah, like, the security guard, I love that you mentioned that, because it's like, they're the only person in the building. Why do you have this Byzantine security system to like <laughs> type in and Google search or whatever? I, the I, building. I like that the terrorists brought in their own like terrorists with poofy hair to replace this guy. <laughs> Huey Lewis. Yeah. Like four man Huey Lewis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so a of like a John Larroquette going on there. But like Ellis, can we get to Ellis, please? Sure. Yes. Um, he, he's, He's introduced doing coke doing in Holly's coke. office, which is an even bigger asshole move later on when you find out he actually has his own private bathroom. Yeah, doing coke in the office, but he totally could have done it in his private bathroom. Well, to me, I read that as this guy, it's almost like he's he's like literally peeing all over Holly's stuff. You know, it's like he's trying to like just communicate this is his territory. Yeah. But Takagi is so fucking cool because he's just like, this is Holly's husband. Holly's police officer husband. Yeah. <laughs> and then, the, of course, the, I didn't realize they celebrated Christmas in Japan. Hey, we're flexible. For Harvard didn't work out. So we got you a tape decks. And I'm like, ooh, yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah, throws it right back in McLean's face. Um, I like the... Like, I think it says, like, he missed a few spots or something like that when he's wiping the coke off. <laughs> well, yeah, then she shows up and, like, of course, Alice is like, show him the watch. It's a rel- it's a Rolex. <laughs> he, well, yeah, she's like, she doesn't want to show it to him, obviously. And he's like, what, are you embarrassed? And it's, uh, fuck that guy. Yeah. Well, and I feel like it, this movie is smart enough to leave us to kind of read in to why she probably wouldn't want to show him the watch without her spelling it out explicitly. Like it kind of trusts the audience to put two and two together. It's, you know, here and there. That yeah. It's a jealous prick. Yeah. Well, more, I think more that there's like, that there's a little bit of tension between mm-hmm. the two of them, just that she's out there at all. And she's doing a good job. Like the watch you know. is a reminder 
that she's moved out here away from him. Yeah, it's true. It's true. a sore subject that's going to create an argument. Yeah. Right. True. But I mean, this party is fucking wild. People are doing coke. They're like trying to find an office to hook up in. It's like a madman party. Um, if it weren't for like the intrusion of like terrorist maniacs, this would be like this would be at least the upwards of like three loved children being conceived on this night. I love the bit when the the couple kind of like bursts into the office or bathroom or wherever they're at where they're having a conversation because there's like this little smirk that Holly gives John like they don't address it directly but the implication there about like hey here's this other couple who's looking to have sex like what's going on between you and I uh, I just love how subtle that is and, and how they it's all just played in the acting and reactions mm-hmm. yeah because well, then you you get like she mentions, you know, the kids would love to have you in the house. I would love to have you in the house or whatever. And I can't remember what he says, but like he shits on like their brief moment of goodwill between each other. Fucking John McClane. I'm not a fan of John McClane. Sounds like you're not a fan of John McClane, Marco. Not at this point. I mean, <laughs> my next question in my notes to you guys is, have you ever talked to yourself in the bathroom mirror like they do in movies? Like, like <laughs> after like an awkward moment, have you ever been like, what are you doing? Um, yes. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, probably I here and there. Probably I mean, because I saw it in a movie though. I, there's, mm-hmm. there's an, un, there's a, an unbearably long list of things that I have tried because I saw it in a movie. So, <laughs> Let's save that for the end of the podcast. We, we, we need to come back to that. But I, I think about like the uh, the fucking John Travolta thing from Pulp Fiction, where it's like I need to pep talk myself in the mirror, like you're gonna go outside, you're gonna laugh at the fucking jokes, you're gonna finish your drink, and you're gonna go home or whatever. Go home and jerk off. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm, it's uh, speaking of watching this movie through a modern lens. Uh, when the dudes all show up with the terrorists with all their guns and whatnot. Like my mind is just immediately like, oh well, this is going to be a mass slaughter, because <laughs> like, that's yeah. it's like it seems so much more ominous now than it would have been. Because you lived through twenty sixteen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, any engagement where you bring missiles <laughs> <laughs> and you all fit in the back of a semi that also somehow includes an ambulance. <laughs> that oh, that's such bullshit. There's no ambulance. All of those guys came rewrite. out of there. Yeah, that yeah. was a rewrite later to put the ambulance in there. Yeah. Um, and then unfortunately, because it's, the plot demands it, John McClane eventually makes fists with his toes on the carpet, which is a great way to get your character shoeless for most of the movie. Um, I think it's, I don't know if it really alleviates air travel and it's like trauma, but yeah. I, I love that detail. Yeah. Him him not having shoes through the whole movie, I think, is great. I I love the detail in the movie itself, but it's um, it's an interesting like way to get him to that place by following the advice of some random guy on a plane to alleviate exactly. the stress. Yeah, I just yeah. figured that's what happened in the eighties: is that you talk to people you sit next to you on planes. Do you not talk to people you sit next to on planes? No, headphones go on. I'm as antisocial as they come on an airplane. 
Not just on airplanes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like the German terrorists. They have all like, for the most part, like long hair and or mm-hmm. ponytails. Like, there's hip mercenary fashion to look like you just got cut from Def Leppard or whatever. Oh, these guys are great. I love yeah. uh, how Theo and Carl walk in, and he's like regaling this like tale of like a Lakers game or something like that to distract. It's like so perfectly uh, orchestrated. Yeah. Yeah. Carl well, like oh, sorry, Carl's hair is my favorite. I mm-hmm. I have several things about Carl's hair. <laughs> There's another dude who has like straight up Fabio hair in this. That guy's pretty impressive too. Well, so Carl, apparently the actor who plays Carl, like his defection from the Soviet Union to the United States apparently caused like a brief diplomatic incident. But um, because of his the hair. guy who played Yes. <laughs> yes USSR is like we have a hair gap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boris Yeltsin was like, we can't lose that hair. Mm-hmm. That hair is amazing. Um, it gives our women hope. Um, but the guy who plays his brother, who gets his neck snapped, is later on Vanessa Redgrave's like lackey in the first and fourth Mission Impossible movie, okay. which, of course, that detail screamed out at me when I watched this. Anyway, so my, my, my moment that I love here, it almost was like my number six top moment, was uh, when Hans Gruber is like going through talking about like looking for Mr. Takagi. There's a brief moment when Ellis shakes his head like, it's not me, man. I'm not Takagi, man. <laughs> oh, he's such oh, a coward. This. Yeah. Yeah. I like that Holly, like, she, you know, grabs, put, she puts her arm, her hand, her hand on his arm, and she's like, no. Like, do n- let's see what the, what these guys want before you sit there and volunteer who you are. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Right. Yeah, she's got a little bit of street smart from her husband. And also isn't just like a douchebag cokehead. Yeah. Also. <laughs> also, real quick, going back, McLean's thing was like, I have six months of like back order or whatever on my cases. That's an excuse. I can't just drop that and like yeah, move can. to LA. He doesn't want yeah, to. Yeah. It's I think, such bullshit. I think the subtext is this is a kind of a movie about his masculinity is threatened because he's not the breadwinner in his family anymore. Well, I mean, so this is 27 years later ish, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, almost, mm-hmm. and that's still a thing. Like mm-hmm. there are still men out there that are like, like I have friends that are like, Oh, I'm, I'm really nervous that I'm about to earn more than so-and-so because like, he really, like, I don't think he'd be okay with dating or being married to somebody who is, you know, earn out earns them. So um, well, you figure which, this is – sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say which my response is always so break up with them. But, you know. <laughs> or <laughs> you shove that paycheck in his face and you say, yippee ki motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be my next bit of advice. <laughs> there you go. Well, so this is 1988 and you have the working woman character and I feel like the movie's kind of on her side. Um mm. It's definitely like, and then you flash forward to 2015, the second biggest movie of the year, it's Jurassic World, where you have the working woman character. And it's like, oh, she just needs to have babies and find a man. Like, Let's shame, shame the fuck out of her yeah. for having a job. God damn it. Yeah. It's like, uh-huh. uh, yeah, some things unfortunately have, have changed in different ways. It's, it's movies, it's not like the most woke movie ever or anything, but like, Weirdly more progressive than you'd expect for a movie in the 1980s. It's an action movie. 
It's kind of funny that you mentioned Jurassic World, which is like the first punch that's kind of ruined Chris Pratt on the the big screen for me. And I feel like the reviews I've read of Passengers have been like the uh, final stake to the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but him, the, him being in that movie with Jennifer Lawrence, like I feel like they're both at like peak. Um, like we're all kind of <laughs> like, okay, yeah, we get it. Like yeah. Chris Pratt, Jennifer Lawrence, like so them being in a movie together, it's like, oh, fucking Christ, like. Probably not. You probably should have done anything but these two together. Well, my my they favorite tweet like of like last week. Together. No, no, no. My favorite tweet of the last week though was when somebody tweeted like Chris Pratt and like Jennifer Lawrence. It's like the biggest movie ever for white people. <laughs> yeah, they. I mean, they they really are like like I will continue to to love him as Star Lord and everything like that. But I, I'm not all about like. Chris Pratt in a lot of these other films because it's like just he's just playing like generic good white guy you know like a little too much of the the frattiness yeah I feel like comes out in his other roles like not in an endearing way I just Mm -hmm. think every time you get me a Chris Pratt role I think well what is Anna Faris doing um anyway so speaking of of this movie uh the mention that Mr. Takagi was in an internment camp that is heavy duty in like Trump's America. I'm surprised they mentioned that. Yeah. Like, yeah. They yeah. threw that out Manzibar, which, uh, yeah, I don't know. This movie is weirdly progressive in some ways like that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there's some like Trump conspiracy theorists out there that think this movie was rewritten to bring <laughs> up Japanese internment camps. Hashtag <laughs> dub die hard. Fake news. <laughs> Ooh, die hard. Mm. <laughs> well, I think part of what makes this movie so fun, in addition to all the characters, is that all the little things they do, like when the terrorists are taking over and then McLean later, it's so kind of like tactile. Like there's a computer involved, but it's not like a magical hacking plot device. Like it just does certain things and that's all it does. Um, I don't know. It's Action movies are a lot more fun and there isn't like a computer that can solve everything. Yeah. Yeah. Also, what kind of shit is... Uh, Takagi involved in that he has $640 million in bearer bonds <laughs> in the company vault. That is shady as fuck. <laughs> I remember that really confusing me as a kid being like, that thing said $100,000. Is that is that like a, a magical dollar bill that like they have that exists? Like I, I yeah. didn't know what the hell treasury bonds were. <laughs> well, seriously, what are negotiable bearer bonds? I, mean, I think they're uh, just treasury bonds, T-bills. There you go. Um, yeah, so Hans Gruber, I love that he, like, his personalization is, like, he wants it noted. He's no slouch when it comes, like, industrialization and men's fashion. <laughs> um, and then when Takagi's, like, not giving in, Al Rickman has the greatest, like, pouty stare. Hmm. Like, like, like it's like a, a blue steel, like, stare at Takagi. Um, he has a little, like, diary he reads from when the terrorists take over. Yeah. I don't know what that was like. Part of the thing that interests me about his role is I'm not sure if any of it is like he's performing for these people or not, you know, like because he's ultimately just a thief. But I don't right. know if he actually is as suave as he's trying to like portray. Yeah. And hmm. then like a half an hour into the movie, I was like, why is Argyle still waiting for John McClane? Just, he's on the phone. There's obviously like a fly honey waiting for him. Well, it's his job. I mean, his job's but to like, wait until this guy's ready to go wherever he wants to go. 
it, the job was to deliver him to Nakatomi Tower. Like, he's like waiting for a tip. It's not going to come from this asshole. No, he's a solid bro. He said, like, I tell you what, you know, you go in there and if it looks like you're going to stay with your girl, then, like, give me a call and, you know, I'll, you sign for the tip and I'll go. But if not, I'll go take you to get a hotel room. And I, just, I, it's probably billable hours, right? <laughs> like, there's sure, a clock running. I don't know. I don't know. Sure, this, is, this is billed to Nakatomi, so, like, yeah, it's billed to the company, so I, I feel like he knows what he's doing there. Well, let me just throw this up. Benji, are you this solid of a bro? Would you wait outside some somebody's house? Uh, no. Work out? Oh, my reputation is being impugned. Uh, <laughs> I would Sorry. say maybe. <laughs> hmm. Do I have a giant stuffed animal in the back of the limo that I can hang out with the whole time? You? No. <laughs> Uh, I feel like I in like 2016 that, that also means something different, but yeah, <laughs> yeah that's probably true. <laughs> You're like, what pillow. the fuck are you gonna do with that? Um, how does he have my bigger question about Argyle is how he has cell phone reception in like a in a parking garage in the 80s? Um, yeah, yeah. I don't have I don't have reception in the parking garage at work now. Like, uh, <laughs> hand wave that and say it's on like a different uh, spectrum. Back in the mm-hmm. 80s than it would be now. Maybe, maybe he's CB in the girl. Did, <laughs> did you notice there's one of the terrorists has like a little bit of a Jon Snow thing going on? Which one? He's kind of short and he has dark hair that's kind of poofy. Like a, he doesn't totally look like Jon Snow, but he does a little bit. He's does the one he, who makes it like almost all the way to the end, I want to say. Does he not have to know how to do it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he knows. He knows nothing. Um, it's fascinating trying to keep track of all the various terrorists on the squad. Well, you got the the short haired blonde guy. You got Carl. You've got the uh, like Scarface dude. Who are like they're definitely referencing Scarface when he's like up on top of the table shooting with a machine gun, right? Where he's looking for John. Yeah, which Franco. not the most yeah not the most efficient way to uh, you know hunt somebody down. But like you have a One bunch of, of German guys. Marco. Yeah. Yeah. You do. There is one named Marco, but the the John Snow looking guy. I, I oh, is he I Franco? Look it up, okay. Franco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I think Marco is I mean, the Scarface guy. Yeah, you have yeah. a bunch of German guys, and then like the Asian Fu Manchu guy, and then Theo. Theo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and Theo, like I, I think you know we're talking about how this movie is relatively progressive for its, especially for its time. Like we have intelligent likable people of color in this mm-hmm. movie um which it's, it's you know, not on, a, a typecast at all yeah yeah like uh you know they very easily could have made argyle especially like a caricature and theo like the angry black man you know villain but they didn't do that and um i think that was really smart there's people out there today that wouldn't, you know, that would be more willing to typecast them in those. Yeah, roles, seriously. So. I love the uh, <laughs> little windbreaker thing that Carl wears. Like he's in like a speed suit through this whole movie. <laughs> I can't hear speed suit without thinking Venture Brothers. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My next my next note, though, is the. Uh, <laughs> the nude pinup taped to the fuse box outside the elevator control thing or whatever that we see multiple times. 
This it's like movie, the weird landmark that John McClane passes. This movie definitely is trying to hit some sort of nudity quota. There's the uh, like the couple who like get surprised having sex when the terrorists yes. show up. There's uh, randomly there's a part where I think it's John McClane and like just like looks across out the window at like some other like silhouetted naked lady like in a building nearby. And then mm-hmm. yeah, the the constant return to the the nude calendar. That's definitely an 80s thing, I would say. Yeah. Oh, are nude calendars no longer a thing? No, it's more, I guess, just like the the drive to like, well, we got to get some tits in here. Feels very Wait 80s. Wait on The thing. Office. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it's like a construction calendar or whatever. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, I think that there's like more. There would have been more gratuitous nudity, I think now though, like the, like those um, the people that are that were like you know screwing in the office, like you mm. would have seen, I think far more now, just because like no one cares and it's. If you're gonna put it in there at all, they would have like gone for yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Well, like, like, yeah, I want to say airplane is like PG, even though it has nudity in it or something. So, yeah, there are a little bit different attitudes about nudity back then, too. It wasn't the, I mean, like, it, it wasn't the end all be all of like things that were bad <laughs> for children to see. Like now movies are rated in the most fucked up way where like you can like saw someone's arms off and that's okay. But the minute you show tits and ass, like things have gone awry, especially if it's a woman's ass. Then. Yeah. And don't you dare say the F word. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I definitely remember like having to ask my friends what the next snapping thing was about. Like, you can die that way. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm like wondering at what point I realized that you could die via next snap. Like, because <laughs> I remember watching this movie and being like, oh, no, they, he's gone. Like, <laughs> well, I think what always confused me was that like he has blood all over himself afterwards. And I was like, where did the blood come from? He snapped his neck. I guess it's, I don't know, just other cuts and whatnot. Yeah, the the orgasmic postcoital murder thing there, which came full circle for me uh, in season three of True Blood when Bill snaps his maker's neck and then they have <laughs> sex. And I was just that like, came full circle for you then. <laughs> That's right. Closed circuit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to say this is probably one of the first movies that I saw that really went into the whole like sneaking around elevator shafts and air ducts and whatnot. That all just seems super cool. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that you see in, I mean, hell, how many like pretty little liars episodes are there? <laughs> like that, like, um, we're like right. shooting at the ventilation shop that Ari is in. Yeah. yeah. RIP Jason. Yeah. <laughs> God, I thought he was dead after um, that. It, maybe he is. Maybe it's his, uh, his like twin brother this whole time. Whoa, this fucking town. Um, but like it's it's a weird that scene is like the weird cousin of the like knowing that the heroes in one of the bathroom stalls and the villains like kicking in each one like mm-hmm. like stall by stall. Um, only no, it's in a ventilation shaft <laughs> as he's mumbling to himself. Well, they definitely did that same bit in sneakers. The uh, like 
shooting or checking ventilation shafts like one at a time. Yeah. Yeah. They do that in a season two episode of Buffy too. Well, it's not ventilation shaft, but it's in the, in the school hard, the episode where Spike shows up and he like knows that she's in the ceiling. So he starts like stabbing the ceiling with the, Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) And Buffy's like crawling through the, mm-hmm. the crawl spaces and stuff. Can I just say, haven't I seen you somewhere before? You said, get the hell away from my daughter and you hit me with an axe. Yeah. Yeah. I love how calm and collected Gruber is for so long in this movie before he finally starts to lose it as John keeps causing trouble. It takes a while. Mm-hmm. He's very much like, it's okay. We knew the cops were going to get involved. It's all part of the plan. Like, he's really trying to hold it together for a while. The it's all part of the plan phrase. Like, at, at a certain point, I started to be like, I don't think this was part of your plan. Like, <laughs> yeah, not exactly. <laughs> I don't think you actually wanted this to happen. <laughs> Carl just gets angrier and angrier through the whole movie. Well, like, as a kid, though, I remember being like, who the fuck cares if he's a security guard or whatever? And then it never hit me like the stakes of there's John's fucking ex-wife or wife there, you know, in Hans's like grasp. Um, but in a way, this movie's just fucking brilliant in that regard. Um, well, there's like very subtle looks where like Hans notices that Holly looked at the picture. And so then he looks at it too. And he's like, huh? Oh, well. Yeah, but oh well, that's the thing. It's like, oh, but he doesn't pick it up. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's the only picture overturned. Hans, Bubby. Well, he looks at the doing? one next to it, he looks at the other photo. And... Yeah, I think that's like, when that he asked his that her last name, right? Yeah, Janeiro. <laughs> that's the one thing that's like. Ellis's only redeeming quality, I think, in this film is that he he Dude. had every opportunity to be like, this is his fucking wife, but yeah. he didn't. Right. Yeah, this is my old buddy that I invited to the party. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I just love the way how confident he is in his plan. You know, he's like, oh, I got this. <laughs> yeah. But I wanted Hans to be like, I have friends. You don't. This guy is not your fucking friend. <laughs> um, yeah, the uh, the under the table thing when the guy is like the weird uh, uh, boardroom table when John mm-hmm. is like crawling away this like zigzag table, and he like shoots the guy like the general region of the dick, like <laughs> practically giving him a buckwheat. Um, that scene is fascinating. Like later on when you're rewatching it, twenty seven years later, like why is the table shaped that way? Like why are you crawling on top of the table? <laughs> you could have killed him so much easier. <laughs> Yeah, shooting people like through the table or around the table is probably the most inefficient way to kill someone. Yeah. I, I like the way the kind of setting is always like there's like these kind of construction type areas where everything's, uh, you know, incomplete. And then there's like these super fancy boardroom areas occasionally. Like I like how they have all these different locations they can get to. Uh, really gives a nice change up. But of course, you read why, right? Like, like from the real world production standpoint? Uh, no, but I can think of some reasons. I imagine they just didn't always have the same same place to shoot. It's actually the Fox. It's like, the Fox building. Studio. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which was under construction, and they actually charged themselves rent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Donald Trump style. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so yeah, like an hour into the movie, William Atherton shows up. Like, like I said, one of cinema's great assholes. I love that. Well, don't forget about style. True, but like he's on the phone with some some girl in his his like introduction, like letting you know, don't worry, 1980s, he's not gay. But also like his like hyping himself to this woman is that he has a close relationship with Wolfgang Puck. Yeah, it's gonna, be, it's gonna get him into Dorcia. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I really like Al Powell in this. There's uh, another classic character here. Oh, uh, Reginald Van Johnson. Mm-hmm. Papa Winslow. Exactly. Yeah. Papa Winslow. <laughs> Real family matters here. <laughs> um. But still, Harvey Johnson, the news anchor, I would seriously not leave my drink unintended at the party around the bro. The news anchor? Yeah. The Eat It Harvey guy? I don't recall that much about him. (laughs) He, uh, since he's in the, like, since Ellis is also in the movie, like, that I'd be too busy guarding my treatment from him. That (laughs) I I don't know that I paid enough attention to him with that, like, mindset. But I believe you that. um, No, I, I like, I like the. You know, he goes to buy Al Powell goes mm-hmm. to buy Twinkies or whatever, and you think that it's because like they're making fun of him and like the fat wife or the the fat cop thing, but yeah. they're for his pregnant wife. I think that's mm-hmm. sweet. He's got a pregnant wife. And he, I, they, he, you know, they have like some moments to just like talk during the downtime, which I thought worked really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how in one of them, uh, Hans Reber like cuts in. It's just like a touching moment or whatever he says, you know, but like <laughs> it's, it's neat to think that the whole time they're talking, they know that other people could be listening, you know, it's right. a party line. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. I remember those like stupid commercials of uh, like the late night commercials, like a woman on the phone and a guy only it's Hans Gruber and the dad from family matters, John McClane. <laughs> I'd like to see the like it's Jake from State Farm commercials reshot that way. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Hans Gruber and Al Pal. It's fine. Um, well, then yeah, eventually the uh, the principal from Breakfast Club shows up as the captain. Um, who oh, really fuck to that guy. I love that he's just like, how do we know this asshole's not a bartender? (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, like, in a movie full of actual villains, I fucking hate this guy. Like, I like more of the, like, terrorist thugs than him. Interesting. He's, like, he's my number three, I think, of, like, people I actually hate. Um. Oh, I'm trying to remember who's my number one. My number one is probably the William Atherton. My number two being Agents Johnson and Johnson, no relation. Um, and then yeah, Mister Like, I'm gonna come back here and bust heads. The uh, uh, <laughs> principal from Breakfast Club. Yeah, no, I mean I liked him better in Breakfast Club. <laughs> like, yeah. honestly, he was yeah. less of. I mean, the stakes were obviously far lower too, so like it didn't really matter how big of an asshole he was in that movie. Oh, is that the right. same guy? Yeah, it is. This, wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think giving Judd Nelson shit is a cause we can all get behind. <laughs> Absolutely. Jesus Christ, pal! He could be a fucking bartender. 
Um, but yeah, like in my in my notes, I just have <laughs> apropos of nothing. How sassy eighties hot is Bonnie Bedelia? Oh, Bonnie Bedelia's hair like it's its own like monologue for me later when we do our power rankings. <laughs> She's got the shoulder oh. pads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. I wish her hair alone. Because like, I feel like Mary Elizabeth Mastriano wishes she had Bonnie Bedelia's hair. I'm just like as a as a fellow like curly haired woman, like that is that is a level that we all aspire to. And like the, the 80s really was a good place to be a curly haired woman, like because mm-hmm. it didn't matter how big like your hair could be as big. Like now it's, you know. You can't you can't do as much. the The volume has to be has to be tamed a little bit. But then it was just like just let it rip and let it be giant hair and and you had shoulder pads, so that kind of offset it um, a little bit. It was like a Rapunzel lion's mane. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just it's fantastic. It's what it is. Yeah, I think one of the other great details in this movie is the the locks that they need to get through to open the vault gives it a not exactly a ticking clock but like this sense of progress that you know something is impending the whole time we keep checking back in on theo and what's going on with him well just hans gruber's like like trust me i've got the seventh lock on lock it's cool because <laughs> he knows the fbi playbook yeah the FBI playbook. Uh, it also like his plan hinges a hell of a lot on like the behavior of others though. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I, that feels less foolproof to me. It's like, well, if one person makes a different call, you're absolutely fucked. Right. Like that's your whole plan. I just yeah. like that. He's, he just finds like American law enforcement. So predictable that he knows exactly how it's going to play out. Well, like rewatching this, not totally remembering the ending. I was like, Oh shit. One of these FBI guys is Robert Dobby. He's always evil. Is he in on it? And of course, no, he's not. He's just a predictable FBI he's agent. He's just evil in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> um, no relation. So uh, uh, I love when like, like Bonnie Bedelia shows up and she's like, as you mentioned before, she's talking about we got pregnant ladies. Let's put them on sofas and whatever. And he's just like, Ugh, okay, whatever. I'll acquiesce to these. Um, and then she has a great comment, just like, uh, and unless you like it messy, I'd start bringing us in groups to the bathroom. I swear to God, I wanted him to be like. I am German. I love it. Messy. <laughs> God. Uh, I like the way you push back. She's like, oh, you should bring this lady into a private room. And he's just like, no, I'll bring the couch to her, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Counterpoint, madam. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. It really takes Argyle like a long time to figure out that something's going on. Yeah, what level of like soundproofness is that garage that he like couldn't uh, like? Oh, then like I feel like ambient noise. Got like some like music bumping the whole time too, or something. Well, yeah. How how powerful is eighties pop music? Mm-hmm. Very powerful. <laughs> <laughs> every music video ever would lead me to believe very powerful exactly yeah um i love the little detail like when the the swat team is like trying to like storm the building the one guy gets like poked by the thorn from the flower yeah <laughs> just like ow jesus <laughs> well, i like how powell starts kind of like 
like once he's got John on his side and John's like, oh, this is a bad idea. Powell's just like just needling and underhanding his boss like, oh, you're a fucking idiot. You don't know what you're doing. You know, like, well, oh, it's, told you so. He's not like dismissed mm-hmm, <laughs> from yeah. the scene or whatever. Um, and of course, so I never caught his name, but like Fu Manchu Asian guy, like he gets in his position by the newsstand, like waiting for the SWAT team to show up. And I love that he's just like, eh, one crunch bar won't hurt me. Yeah. Neither will this Mars bar later on. Uli. Oh, Uli? Yeah. Is it Uli? Mm-hmm. It's Uli. Yeah. Played by Al Young, who uh, was Genghis Khan in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Probably recognize him from there. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I Uli's like he didn't make my top ten, but if it, if it wasn't because I wanted to like shit all over a couple of characters that I hated, then he mm-hmm. definitely like if it was like truly like all the ones that I like because he's I feel like he steals all the scenes that he's in. Like I I, I enjoyed Uli. Well, like and, doesn't he? Shouldn't he be dead when John McClane drops the bomb to the lower levels? And then like later on, he's alive. No, because he's on the ground floor, mm-hmm. right? Okay. The, the bomb takes out everybody who's on like the fourth story or whatever that is. Okay. I don't know how John McLean knows the bomb will hurt, hurt them and not people on the ground floor, but don't question that. Right. The Mars bar protected him. Yeah. <laughs> not just the crunch bar, but the Mars bar too. Um. Yeah. So I was like, oh shit, the LAPD have their own like Christopher Nolan Batmobile, at least for a little while. Yeah, that thing doesn't last very long. It takes no. forever to get to the building. <laughs> well, you got Theo is like doing the play by play and just having way too much fun. Yeah. Well, and then we get the I'm not the one who got butt fuck on national TV, Dwayne. <laughs> so there was a thing where like so I have older brothers, but mm-hmm. that line, the like you know, I'm not the one that got butt fucked on national TV. Dwayne got repeated in my house so much <laughs> that like just out like apropos of nothing, like like just would re- be randomly shouted at mm. one person or another that there was actually a house rule that was made that no one can say the phrase butt fucked anymore. <laughs> I was like 11 years old. Um, uh Little Raquel, can we keep the butt fucking to a minimum? Yeah, exactly. Jesus. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, uh, I love the bit where Gruber starts like reading his list of demands, all these like random terrorist groups. Yeah. <laughs> like I read about them in Time magazine. <laughs> oh, I love how outlandish it is. He's just like he might as well have thrown in like I also want an autographed picture of Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As like John McClane and Reginald Van Johnson are bonding over Twinkies. Um. I'm not sure exactly why Gruber personally needed to go check for the detonators. Um, but yeah. it, it lets us have the John and, and uh, Hans meet each other, which is just a great scene. So I'll, I'll ignore it. Well, Real quick, too, there's before that, there's the bit where the sergeant and the captain are like arguing out, like with Alice being killed, and they've all heard Alice being killed. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like two fans of the movie <laughs> who have differing views, like they have their own podcast about John McClane. <laughs> and then we cut to like the news with the fucking expert, and it's just like 
his talking about his dreadful sounding book, Hostage Terrorist, Terrorist Hostage. <laughs> <laughs> well, this movie definitely has a perspective of like, like you you got to trust the guys at the low end of the totem pole. Like the higher up you go, you can't trust management. That kind of thing, you know. It's like John and Al Powell, they're legit. Like, but like these FBI guys and like the you know cap police captain or whatever, like they're they're garbage. Don't listen to them. Yeah. Well, I'm like I'm very surprised that the phrase like you know boots on the ground was not said throughout this film. Like you know the the guy who's actually like on the ground knowing what they're doing is not the one that's like taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like by the outward perspective of like the journalists and stuff. But right. <clears throat> I guess Nancy Grace is the only one that made that <laughs> phrase popular. <laughs> also, I like the way Paul Gleason says Asian dong. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about the smile that Gruber has when uh, John McClane offers him some cigarettes? <laughs> There's just something so, Man, I don't even know. It's such a weird fake smile. Yeah. I feel like there's an entire other podcast, though, that we could do just based on the facial expressions of Hans Gruber. (laughs) We're like, and then someone says this and, you know. Well, also, when when John McClane is explaining to Reginald Van Johnson, who I'm sorry is only in my notes, so I realize that's Reginald Van Johnson, like how he knows they're European. He's like, yeah, mostly from their, their labels and also... Long pause. They're cigarettes. <laughs> like quite the cigarette connoisseur. Yeah. 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 Uh, but of course, it's the 80s. So it's like John McClane can only fess up to, like, what a fucking dick he's been to his wife to Reginald Van Johnson on the radio. I mean, I think that that's, I think that's pretty. St- standard across like if there is like reluctant hero trying to be redeemed that has like mm-hmm. obviously fucked up like there's always the one moment where he's like i i'm going to admit to this and you know and it, it, it's usually not the character that he needs to admit it to. yeah you can't just admit that yeah. to your wife you gotta like tell your new buddy yeah let right, me tell this right. guy i've never actually <laughs> met well yeah sergeant al pal's like oh man like you, you didn't root for your wife's success. That's rough. BT Dubs, I killed a kid. <laughs> which, which there's somewhere the like PR person for like the LAPD is like flipping tables trying to get over to him to be like, this is a fucking party line. You cannot admit this. <laughs> he had a well, ray gun. It was doing? dark. Yeah. Not in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, not in the eighties. Yeah, that's fair. In the 80s, that was like your entrance exam to the LAPD. (laughs) How many kids have you killed? I mean, mean domestic. I like the little quiz that uh, McLean gives uh, Gruber where he's like, oh, what did you say your name was again? As he's like looking at the the little sign with people's names on the directory. Yeah. And he gets it right. And so you're like, oh, no, he believes. But no, he didn't believe the whole time. I mean, that's what I like about John McClane. He's an asshole, and I feel like that's non-negotiable. He's not an idiot, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, okay. I think it's I think it's negotiable. I mean, <laughs> okay. he's he's okay. an asshole to Holly. I don't I don't know oh, that yeah. this inherently makes him like like just because you can be a dick doesn't mean like you inherently are a dick. Um, uh, 
especially if you don't look at the sequels. If you yeah. look at the sequels, then I'm, I don't well, have any comments, but. I mean, the fact that his son grew up to be Jai Courtney, I do <laughs> solely blame on, on <laughs> Well, his, his early scenes with Bonnie, it definitely feels like very real, like marital strife there. It's not, it doesn't feel like it's just made up drama or anything like that. It's like, oh yeah, these guys have probably had this conversation a lot. And yeah. it's it's like a very sore subject, and it's like you, they barely even need to start talking about it before one of them's angry. <laughs> well, like you said, it's I don't even know if it's like the movie sides of her. Bonnie Bedelia is so good that she never plays her character like she could ever be wrong. Like she's just as a down to earth, very simple, very smart woman who like knows her shit, knows her value, and like fuck this like fragile machismo asshole husband of hers. Um, who doesn't even let her know if he got on the fucking plane or not? Too. That is a like she doesn't weird. even she doesn't even know if he got on the plane until he actually shows up at the office. <laughs> yeah, and that's a little weird. Yeah, Brandon. I mean, I get there's no cell phones or whatever, but yeah. still, you could be on a payphone while you're smoking your cigarette yeah. in the airport. There, I was gonna say there were payphones. Yeah, there's a phone in the the limo. <laughs> while your 14 year old driver is picking you up. Yeah. <laughs> I love the um, scene just, uh, where they they shoot the glass. Uh, what does he say in German? I can't th- can't think of the German translation. He's like, shoot the glass. Um, oh yeah. And God, that's just so painful. Like when he's like dragging his bloody feet into the bathroom. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. William Atherton, though, real asshole. Like I mean, John McClane sometimes asshole. William Atherton, real asshole. When he has the like camera step away at the uh, McLean household, he's like, "Listen, Nanny, I will call the fucking INS." <laughs> oh, God, uh, so, God damn so it! Awful. Yeah, super dick. Well, and Annie, it's like not only is he just being a dick, but he like completely compromises McLean by like revealing, you know, relations and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was just gonna say that, like talk about like not giving a fuck about the outcome of anything for the, uh, for the sake of your story. Like, um, I don't know that they were teaching journalism ethics in the eighties, but I took that class and (laughs) it's, it's not okay. Well, this movie seems to have a general vibe of like, you got to trust the blue collar guys. And like, you just can't trust those guys with the white collars and the hires up, you know, they're just, they're nothing but trouble. Yeah. Which, I mean, aside from, aside from John himself, like, it's like everybody higher up is, is a white guy and Mm -hmm. everybody, you know, blue collar is, is the, is Holly and, you know, the couple of characters of color. So. Yeah. You got Powell and you got Argyle. Argyle. Yeah. Did you read the thing about Alan Rickman whenever he fired a gun? Oh yeah. It would would flinch. Well, he would, yeah, he'd wince. (laughs) So he like the director cut away from him every single time. Like he actually shot the gun, which is quite frankly, adorable. (laughs) I definitely think that uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is maybe like a spiritual sequel to Hans Gruber. Sheriff of Nineham. Oh my God. Like, I don't know how much of my DNA is like tied up in that movie. Like, (laughs) The number of times I saw that movie as a kid is ludicrous. 
I almost kind of want to do that as a headcanon movie. I was about to say, sounds like you've got your next like one-off movie that you guys we are going to do. We could. I'm a big fan of that movie. Like, yeah. I know a lot of people hated it because they're like, he doesn't even have an English accent. But I was like nine when I saw that movie. Like, I didn't give a shit. You know? yeah, yeah, I was. I, I was. I was literally in fifth grade. Yeah. I think it's uh, there's a, a thing in How I Met Your Mother where it's like you depending on how old you are when you see star wars like it's how you feel about the ewoks like if you mm-hmm. saw them as as a kid then you think that they're adorable and if you see them as an adult you think they're fucking creepy um and uh, i think like that movie like if you don't see it as a child if you only saw it as an adult and there's no nostalgia there for you you probably don't think it's a very good movie <laughs> when you <laughs> might have seen you might have seen the robin hood men in tights first mm-hmm. as well yes um which is a different kind of ridiculousness i mean i remember in my memory like the girl i had a crush on in fifth grade like us actually bonding like me no longer being afraid to talk to her when we both had seen robin hood men in tights <laughs> i mean uh, uh robin hood prince of thieves and uh i felt like it was like the end of casablanca i was like it's gonna be the start of a beautiful friendship because we're in fifth grade and we can't act on these weird feelings we have yeah um <laughs> something you want to tell us it's a different podcast um yeah so well can we talk about uh when gruber first of all he the fact that he like recognizes one of uh holly Gennaro's children is amazing uh but then he yeah. comes out of his office and he does this like kind of disco dance stance as he fires the gun like <laughs> like there's something it's very like he's posing as he like puts one foot forward to fire the gun in the air it's great Oh man, I have to immediately go watch that scene as soon as we stop recording now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll screen cap it and put it on Twitter. It's great. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, what if he just had his like uh, Sheriff of Nottingham hair, like his like glam goth hair in this movie? Well, you know what the um, the what's it called the pinup the n- n- nudie calendar. How they, they keep stopping to look at it. That reminded me of the statue from Prince of Thieves that they keep walking up and looking at. Oh, wow. I don't know if you remember mm. that, the statue with the scar on it. Mm. Yeah. Anywho. I like how you mentioned the English accent. It's Kevin Costner. What the fuck did you expect? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Christian Slater is like his like half-brother. Come on. <laughs> I've never been a huge stickler for accents myself. I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the next thing I have in my notes, if you don't have anything before, is actually McLean's fight with Carl, which is super hardcore. Oh, they go at it for a while. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, first of all, McLean's just like, I'm going to kill you. Then I'm going to cook you and eat you. <laughs> which I was like, God damn. <laughs> I like how later on when the hostages are coming back down the stairs, some of them look up and kind of like be like, ah, because they see like this dead, you know, German guy hanging from a chain there. Which, but he's not. But yeah, he's not. <laughs> that motherfucker him. survives a hanging. <laughs> <laughs> he's Mickey from Scream 2. It's the hair. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which I just think about the, uh, like the guy from the lone gunman in the X-Files just being like, yeah, Carl in Die Hard. That's the hair I want. <laughs> oh, man. 
Um, yeah, so John rescues the hostages on the roof. The FBI chopper shows up. I like that John's thing is just like, fuck words. I'm just going to fire a gun. Um, well, the movie really hates the, these FBI guys. They just seem horrible. They're like, uh, 20% loss. Uh, I can live with that. 25%, yeah. Yeah, 25%. Well, like, uh, remember Vietnam? I was in junior high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Robert Davi starts getting nuts when they're in the gunship. Robert Davi, actual bomb villain. Yeah. The prequel to actual bad guys. <laughs> well, I mean, Timothy Dalton, Bond villain, but yeah. Um, so when they, when the fireball comes and John has to jump over the side and Raquel realized that she was heterosexual. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that we're like, oh shit, this is huge. And then fucking like the principal from a uh, uh, breakfast club is the one who like breaks attention for us with, holy Christ, we're going to need some more FBI guys, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it's one good line in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie this movie does not care for the FBI at all. <laughs> no. I, I mean, they didn't even set them up. Like, they named them both Agent Johnson. Like, they were like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> we don't even care enough. Like, No relation. Yeah. No relation. <laughs> I feel like I've heard the, the different permutations of that joke rippling out since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I completely forgot that, like, this is where it originated. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the good things about like watching this movie now is that you can like track the genesis of different things that originated here uh-huh, and you're yeah. like, and then like across like nineties and two thousands movies. And you're like, ah, that's where that came from. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like when you read like Shakespeare and you're like, Oh, this is where all these sayings come from. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I did is- just compare die hard to Shakespeare. I mean, though, like, how many modern movies do we have that have, like, spun out of something from from Shakespeare? Like, I mean, most of the movies that Julia Stiles ha- was in and from, 90, <laughs> from 1997 to, like, 2004 were based off of Shakespeare. So, Including the Bourne Supremacy. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Oddly enough, biographical note, I feel like one of Benji and I's like fondest moments was going to see 10 things I hate about you at the dollar theater mm-hmm. and the guy at the box office, the uh, timid Asian man. When I said two tickets for 10 things I hate about, and I pointed at him, you, it's <laughs> oh like, God. Hey, you don't even know me. <laughs> oh, that might, that might be the worst thing I've ever heard you say on any podcast ever. <laughs> I'm taking a bow. You can't even tell, but I'm taking a bow. And then when, I'm high-fiving a million When angels. exactly does John McClane lose his tank top entirely? Because eventually he's just shirtless. Yeah. He, yeah. I actually tried to figure that out, and I was unsuccessful in like getting the exact moment of like when it went away. Um, mm-hmm. But I, that's like a thing in my notes. I'm like, and he's shirtless, and I don't know how. <laughs> but I was not mad about it, so... Maybe he's during like, his fight point, with Carl. Yeah, I don't know. You're just like locked in like the estrus. Yeah. Um, where that tank top goes from like white to brown to shirtless. I can explain the brown because he was in the vents. And so I think that's why he got all like gross. Is all the dust. In Which there. makes me feel weird about breathing air in a skyscraper. <laughs> yeah, I guess that was my thing. I was like, I know he's in the vents, but like how fucking dirty are these vents? <laughs> right. 
how many of these people have lung cancer like 20 27 years later um i love when the uh i, I lol out loud for reals like when the christmas tree topples over from explosions oh you know what we didn't talk about was when carl starts doing his like german kung fu on uh yes. on john mcclain there <laughs> <laughs> I always like, like you always have to have the villain who's just like physically outmatches the hero, and it's like mm-hmm. it's only through some matter of like luck and like cleverness that he's going to get away. I want every movie that Alan Brickman was in for him to do German kung fu at some <laughs> point for no reason. Oh man, I miss Alan Rickman so much. Yeah, I want more scenes of Alan Rickman. In any movie with every a movie magic wand, yeah, with a magic wand. <laughs> that yeah, my like as soon as he was cast as Snape, I was like, please let like please let them realize what a treasure we have here. And um, sadly, very few of the directors did, mm-hmm. except in Love Actually, when he's like the real villain of the movie. Oh, he's a scumbag in that movie. He's a real dirtbag. Yeah, we- Emma Thompson. <laughs> yeah. We discussed doing like a love actually podcast for like for us or whatever. And I was like, I really don't want to do that because I have such bad things to say about Alan Rickman's character. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's the only reason I don't want to do that. Oh, um, so in in case anyone's interested, McLean takes his uh, tank top off to bandage up his foot. That's where it comes. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess I didn't go far enough back then when I was like, wait, where did his shirt They don't go? show him taking it off. They do you just like scene to scene. Suddenly he's got like it wrapped around his foot. That's apparently the scene where the producers told McTiernan to take out the sound effect when he pulls the glass out of Ooh. his foot. Because apparently uh, it was like wet and squishy and gross. Um the guy that real quick, sorry, love actually, the guy that Laura Linney like is trying to get with, is that not Oh, that's Carl, takes a shit guy, uh, Westworld it? takes a shit guy from Lost. Yeah. Yeah. Sure okay. his, yeah. And his name, his character's name is Carl, actually, as well. Oh, it's Carl, K. actually? No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's a weird last name. That would be. I meant like. <laughs> that's how the movie works in the title. <laughs> oh. Um. Which, which is funny. Even on Westworld, Benji and I were both like, it takes a shit guy from Lost. <laughs> yeah there's a few times as a listener where i'm like god fuck you benji so uh, <laughs> this yeah. is this is my time to say that as a as a guest i'm just you kidding know what? you're right it's okay it's christmas <laughs> no um, this is your present his name is carl that's all i wanted to say actually carl carl with a k <laughs> Just like Carl with the good hair in 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 this movie. I'm never gonna want, be able to watch that movie now and not think of him as Carl. Actually, <laughs> uh, that movie's so horrible, and yet I want to watch it now. I feel uh, like I, if Bill Nye had referred to him as Carl, actually, it would be canon for real. Some one of my coworkers today um, asked me who the most attractive guy in Love Actually was, and I. Th- mm. Like had the answer typed out to be like Bill Nighy, of course, <laughs> but uh, I answered accurately and I said the the guy that played Carl, but um, but Bill Nighy is a close second there. Interesting. Not really. I'm. <laughs> that's not how he is. The Brazilian how. Tom Cruise. It's true. <laughs> I remember. Okay, what like 
Benji and I growing up being so huge Lost fans. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it. so, it's so dumb how off topic we are. At this who point. cares? It's our podcast. You're stuck listening to this now, folks. Like when I was like, who is this guy they cast in season three of Lost? And Benji was like straight face over the phone. Oh, it's the Brazilian Tom Cruise. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's okay. what they said about it. And they're like, oh, yeah, this guy's like Tom Cruise in Brazil. And then for the first six episodes, he just takes a shit guy. <laughs> Until he gets buried alive. <laughs> And then later on, I think we saw 300 together. And afterwards, Benji's like, that was takes a shit guy as Xerxes, by the way. <laughs> and now he's Hector on Westworld. Yeah. How little things have changed. Mm-hmm. Good things come from small beginnings. Exactly. <laughs> Once upon a time, he was just Carl, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to Die Hard. There's all these papers flying around. Is this just like office copy paper or are those like bonds? I was wondering about that when I watched this. I feel like it's got, I want it to be bonds. I think that'd be cool. You snag like, you know, a few of those and you're set. It's like $100,000 each. Yeah, yeah. I think those bonds. Yeah. Supposed to be. Because I mean, I, I think the way those work is that they're not like made out to anyone. Like if you have it, it's yours because they're stealing them. So. It's is that like the negotiable aspect of it? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I like that Argyle charges in and rams the bad guy's ambulance, the limo. How did he know that that guy was the bad guy? I mean, there's some amount of assumption going on there, right? Yeah. Well, somebody Argyle's like, this is an 80s action movie. 98% of the cast is white. I'm black. That guy's black. He's got to be the bad guy. <laughs> No, I actually like in my notes, I'm like, Argo makes some wild assumptions here and just yeah. happens to be okay about it. Like, yeah. it, it all worked uh, out for the best. Yeah, I, it's all fine. I love the slow motion shot of Hans Gruber falling. Like, it's, the gun is slowly like moving closer to aim at uh, McLean and then suddenly starts falling. Uh, I just love that shot. Well, like, all the behind-the-scenes aspects of this movie just make Alan Rickman come off as more like wonderful. Did you read like why his his acting is so good in this scene? I did not. Because apparently, count of three, they told him we'll drop you one, oh. and then they <laughs> dropped him. <laughs> it was like an actual like twenty-five foot drop to his blue screen or whatever. But he's just like, oh shit. That's really but I love good the, compositing. Yeah, yeah, it is. I love the the like pseudo meadowness of uh like them talking about like you know john wayne heading off in the sunset of grace kelly and he's like it's gary cooper you asshole <laughs> i like hans mocking him for being a cowboy like yeah. just like you know that john is the kind of guy that's like i'm not taking that as an insult fuck yeah i'm a cowboy <laughs> yeah yippee kai a motherfucker roy rogers yeah fancy shirts and so later, like he reunites with Holly, like rubs his like sweaty, bloody like face and body all over her. It, it's snowing, negotiable barrel bronze, <laughs> like a and real Christmas like, in LA there. And she's like, "You fucking stink." <laughs> I like that he he finally gets to meet Powell. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do they work Reginald Van Johnson into the sequel? Like, did he just like transfer cities? Oh man, I, I 
It's like Chicago. I should know this because I watched that movie a million times. No, it's at an airport in D.C., I think. Could be wrong about that. It's at an airport Uh, on the East Coast. Okay. That sounds right. I... Die Hard 2 is probably the one I've seen the least. <laughs> I've seen Die Hard, like, live for your Die Hard so oh many times that it, like, hurts my feelings. I've literally never seen anything past the third one. I just remember D- that in, in Die Hard Don't. 2, he breaks off an icicle and stabs a dude in the eye with it. And I just thought that was fucking awesome. I mean, it's the sequel. The stakes mm-hmm. are higher. The body count's higher. <laughs> Word. Word. Yeah, Randy I want to say he like that. I think he like gives Al Powell a call at one point. He like needs some information. I think that's how they work him into it. I thought it was like something ridiculous, like McLean. I transferred cities just to get away from you. <laughs> it could be. Who knows? There was like a friendly like airport mechanic that he befriends. Yeah, that, that movie is pretty weird, and it did not really have like- Carl. Yeah, I really like the Heart of a Vengeance. Yeah, there's no the, the hair quotient is a lot less. Well, Carl the Unkillable, he like comes back. He, I mean, he went all the way downstairs somehow. <laughs> you know, he traveled from where he got hung up at the roof all the way downstairs, and he's just been waiting to to burst out here and attack McLean. Which is crazy because Carl, you could have gotten away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, he wants revenge, and he needs to give the, yeah. Al Powell his moment, or he's, he's finally able to use his gun again. Oh, I, I mean, I like that, though, the the vengeance driven like mm-hmm. reason for him. like, I mean, he he was not fucking letting this go. Yeah. Uh, and is- I was just going to say, if anyone's curious, uh, Benji was right. Uh, they just call uh, okay. uh, McLean just calls the LAPD and there's a scene without how eating a Twinkie talking in the phone. That's that's the <laughs> that's the way they work, men. Also, I'm looking at it too. I'm I'm saying Van Johnson. It's Vel Johnson. It's Reginald Vel Johnson. See, I I feel like it's a a big step for me to have not corrected you the whole time on that. Really, you knew? Yeah. I'm surprised. I didn't picture you as a Family Matters kind of guy. I didn't no, picture you. I have IMDb guy. open in front of me. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think See. that's the difference between us is that I feel like some of these movies I lived, and some of these movies you just read about on the internet. Wow. Okay. Oh, man. Oh, wow. Shots fucking Oh, I will have to work hard to top that pretension. Um, But yeah, you'll you'll do it within five minutes. (laughs) It's a true Christmas movie at the end. You know, it's it's snowing. Everybody's a millionaire down there, probably, if they're uh, paying attention to what's falling on him. And the asshole reporter gets punched out. Love it. And Holly takes John's last name again. What do you think, like, if they'd never done, like, a sequel, wouldn't it make sense for him to move out to L.A.? Like, I don't know. Like, the in Die Hard 2, I'm trying to remember how what their setup is, but, like, they don't work out ultimately, like, like Die Hard 3. <laughs> right. She, yeah. or, no, they're still together. So you just don't see her. No, I mean, like, but they don't work out, like, because uh, their daughter, like, has like takes her last name too. Like that, that storyline, I can't remember which sequel it is, <laughs> but that's one, repeated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, where like her, their daughter goes by Gennaro as well. Like, um, and they ultimately like Holly and, 
and John do not work out as a, as a couple. I don't know by what movie we like firmly are like, well, that didn't work, but it's gotta be by, by four. Cause by, I know in the, th- by three, he's back in New York. Yeah. He's back in New York, but like he calls her and I think they're still together. She's just not in the movie Four, I know the daughter's played by, uh, uh Ramona flowers, but, mm-hmm. um, and two, they do the incredibly shitty thing where Bonnie Bedelia is just like stuck on an airplane, like oh, covering the, the city. She gets the taser Thornburg though, so that was that okay. Was fine. Cool. Cool. But she she gets like uh, Back to the Future two treatment, you know, like where like they're like, oh, we're just mm-hmm. gonna knock you out, like we're gonna set yeah. you here for the for Take the whole nap. movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she gets like the Ann Archer in the Jack Ryan movies, just like Jack, be careful. Yeah. Um. But in this movie, Argyle drives and Holly and John like are in the back of the limo, like kissing as they drive <laughs> off into the sunrise. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get to the power rankings. Uh, did anyone happen to have him make one change? I know I don't. I don't. Uh, my make one change, I'm going to add uh, Holly's hairdo as number 11 per Raquel mentioning it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what's your number 10, Raquel? Uh, Deputy Chief Johnson or Robinson, uh, Robinson, he, uh, the principal from Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. uh, just shut the fuck up, dude. Like, I said that to my screen a couple of times, um, because, like, Marco, you asked if we ever talked in the mirror. I definitely talked to my TV, uh, quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, like, he, he only serves to, like, be the foil for, for, no, like in a movie where you already have like seven thugs trying to like shoot you, you don't really need to be like hindered any further. But he does it for some reason. Well, he's so. got that whole like uh, maybe it was just a stockbroker that uh, you know got depressed and jumped out of the window just at the exact same moment you're getting shot. Like it's like really? Do you actually believe that? Yeah, like I mean, he doesn't. It's not even like his his. Um, disbelief is like rooted in anything believable <laughs> or good you know it's like yeah. just he's just trying to be an asshole mm-hmm. so he's my number 10 uh he's my number 10 as well for all the reasons she just mentioned <laughs> all right uh i had marco at number 10 ouch uh, marco the uh <laughs> scar like i deserve higher <laughs> benji <laughs> bubby <laughs> guys you gotta help me out here john Oh, I love the. Uh, oh, I, I wrote down one of his lines. Uh, they want the detonator, so they're gonna kill me. And then, like, thumbs up. <laughs> he gives a thumbs up to Gruber, and Gruber's just like, hmm. hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, Scarface guy. I don't know. I felt like I should put him in there somewhere. Yeah, he didn't make the cut for me. Yeah. Uh, I've got Carl at number nine. He he survived a hanging, and his hair means that he gets a place on the list and he just has that like unbridled like vengeance rage that you i find is missing from a lot of the movie villains these days yeah he just keeps getting angrier yeah like like it's almost like he at some point during the night like found a shot of like the hulk serum and (laughs) just like took one and was like fuck it let's do this right right um which is why at number nine, I, I, I like that. I would say I, I like the uh, the brother aspect, especially because they're like diehard for vengeance. But um, my number nine is Agents Johnson and Johnson, no relationship. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> nice. Yeah, I've got uh, Theo at number nine. I like this character. He's really kind of like a sociopath when you kind of think about like the things he's doing. Like he's just laughing and joking when they shoot the dude in the head at that one point. Like he just does not seem to give a shit. Like there's like betting with uh, Carl when Takagi gets killed. But yeah, I like this character. Yeah, I have Theo at number eight actually for basically all. I I like his dialogue a lot. Um, He gets some really funny lines and, like you said, he just does not give a fuck. Like he's like, yeah, someone got killed, whatever. Like he does not care. Like he's, this is purely a game to him. He just Mm -hmm. wants to know that he can get through these like levels. He might as well be playing like, you know, um, Mario Kart or some shit. Like he, it doesn't matter to him. He just wants to get through, um, and prove that he can do it to himself, really not even to anyone else. I imagine he probably is pretty invested in getting all that money too, but you know. <laughs> well, these guys really worked it out well. There were only like three of them left by the end, so they would have got to keep it all for themselves. <clears throat> that's, I mean, it's kind of like a the opening scene of of Dark Knight where they're like, <laughs> "Oh, we're, we have to split it between all these fucking people," and then by the end, the Joker's like, "I'm not splitting this shit with any of you assholes." Like, yeah, if I were Theo, I'd maybe be a little worried about the double cross. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Hans Gruber is going to introduce him to like his uh, his tailor, his bespoke mm. tailor, in London, yeah. where Yasser Arafat gets his suits from. Um, yeah. Actually, oddly enough, uh, uh, Theo is my number eight as well. Stop copying off my I know. paper, bro. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I had Johnson and Johnson, no relation, at number eight. Um, I love the bit about when Robert Dobby's going nuts and the other guy's just like, I was in junior high. <laughs> They're just so, so soulless and callous though. Yeah. Yeah. They're those, they're, I don't think anyone was sad when they died, you know, like they, <laughs> no. you weren't like, Oh no. It was just like, Oh, well, <laughs> they're just assholes immediately. As soon as they show up, there's like, you were in charge. <laughs> oh god um speaking of immediate assholes my number seven is uh harry ellis i i i know that he's probably higher on both your lists obviously but um just uh, he's like all of the men that I hate dealing with in a work and like work environment. Like I felt for Holly so much, especially now, like being in, like being an older woman in, in a, in a work environment that has to deal with these assholes with their like giant fucking egos and the relentless pursuit of, you know, a married woman, first of all, like they know she's married and mm-hmm. uh, he's just fucking gross. Like I, uh, I can only imagine like the tiptoeing that she has to do around his ego to like not step on his like precious man feelings and uh, I'm getting mad thinking about this. <laughs> so tomorrow when you go to work, some guy is going to be like, Raquel, show him the watch. It's a Rolex. <laughs> oh yeah. I, uh, <laughs> God. What's your number seven? Oddly enough, I'm not copying your notes here. My number seven is Argyle. Yeah. I mean, he makes the backseat of that limo look fun. Yeah, I've got Argyle as well. I just love 
how after John McClane tells him basically shut the fuck up and stop talking to me, he just completely ignores him and still starts kneeling him like about his personal life. Like he just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, I could do that, but mm-hmm. I won't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My boss thinks I'm going to Vegas. Ha! <laughs> yeah, I have Ariel at number six for the same reasons. Like he was just super fucking fun. Like the movie has a couple of points where it needs like, it's good that they interjected him with like his like super bumping music and mm-hmm. talk to his girl. Like this movie definitely yeah. has a, a surplus of people it can cut away to at any point, you know? So it, it, you're not stuck with John at all. It's like, what's Powell doing? What's Argyle doing? What's Bonnie doing? What's Gruber doing? They can kind of really move you around. Yeah. yeah. Let's all thank the moonlighting shooting schedule mm-hmm. for that one. Mm-hmm. Let's thank the uh, monster that, uh, uh, Bruce Wilson's fighting them called Sybil Shepherd. Yeah. Um, my number six is actually uh, Mr. Takagi, who seems really cool. Like he's the one who actually got the limo for John. We find out. Um, he's like pretty like low key. He's like self-deprecating. He's funny. Um, I felt bad for the guy. He's like, no, I, I actually literally don't have access to that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then Carl Hans Gruber's like, ah, I'm still going to shoot you in the face. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't make my list, but I mean, he is pretty cool. I I'm still suspicious as fuck as to why he has all those bear bonds. <laughs> like, <laughs> I still have questions about that. As you should, but Hans is like, you've got a pretty good taste in suits. I gotta say, yeah. Yeah. Benji, uh, what are we on number six? Yep. Six. I have Carl. Just because Carl is like one of your all time, uh, what do they call these guys? The dragon, like the second in command. Like he's great. Right. Uh, I love the, there's like a certain moment when it's about halfway through the movie and Gruber's talking to him and Carl just like does this like hateful like glare at him. You know, it's like, whoa, <laughs> like Carl's, Carl's mad right now. Don't talk to Carl. Yeah. yeah. Carl smash, Carl angry. <laughs> Carl perm. <laughs> Carl color <laughs> Carl bleach uh, we on number five yeah right I have uh, Al Powell Papa Winslow I uh, I really liked him I liked uh, I liked how hard he like he tried really hard you know like he <laughs> he was not gonna be sent away he wasn't gonna like just lay down because it wasn't technically his responsibility anymore. Um, and, uh, and then he fucking kills Carl. So he gets, gets over his, his, his inability to kill people as a police officer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, really, yeah. it's redeemed in that regard. Yeah. Well, like, I feel like, uh, the eighties really taught you that like working a desk was a fucking burden for a police officer. <laughs> um, it's going to feel like I'm really cribbing from both of you. But like when I do these headcanon power rankings, I really start with number 10 and I work my way down. And by the time I get to like the bottom five, I feel the fucking crunch of characters. Um, so my number five is actually Carl slash Reginald Bell Johnson. Um, you put those two guys together. I really did. Um, Carl, because like he puts a badass face on what would be like a normally forgettable dragon character. And like you said, everything about Reginald Bell Johnson, he he brings this weird human aspect to it though. I mean, he loves Twinkies. He also murdered a kid. He's also like the person who understands 
that uh, John McClane might be a cop, might be a, a person of like you know, because he's simpatico. got a hunch. Yeah, he's, he knows. Yeah, things. yeah, he's he's definitely a badge. He says. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like something I don't know like, about him that really like I don't know. Like normally you would hate this character, I think, or or you just wouldn't connect with him. And he does something pretty great there, so I really like him. Yeah, at number five, I have Monster Ellis, uh, who Raquel <laughs> very justifiably hates. Um, I put him number five. I mean, he's horrible, but he I just feel like he's such a platonic ideal of that asshole 80s business guy, like that yuppie 80s guy that like nobody has ever been a bigger asshole than this guy. So I felt like I, I at least needed to give him some credit for that. Yeah. And I mean, I get like, he's, he's like the, the guy you love to hate type character mm-hmm. too. Like, and I, I get that. I just, uh, <laughs> he's just he's, makes your skin crawl. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I literally have the words that motherfucker is gross. Like, and <laughs> like, that's not eloquent or anything, but it just, it, he's just gross. And my skin does crawl when I think about him. You have like tattooed in your arm. Uh, disgusting. Um, my number four is Bonnie Bedelia's hair. Yes. Uh, if I didn't adequately, I, and I realize that there are plenty of characters that, like in this movie that probably warranted <laughs> a space here, but um, I, I don't care. Um, it's it's fantastic. It never falls. It does its job throughout the whole movie. And really, it you know, the bigger the hair, the bigger the attitude for a woman. Usually, uh, like it just gives you a power. To, to be able to express your attitude a little better. Um, and, uh, and and it definitely helped her. I think it kept her a little brave throughout the whole thing. So giving it its its place on the list. Well done. Um, number four, <laughs> not to diminish how powerful of a statement that was, I actually have Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> um, because... <laughs> I feel like Hart Botcher does such a fantastic impression of all of those terrible things that you you appropriately like labeled him as. Um, like I said, he's Mister 1980s and all of his horribleness. And it's like I don't know. It's almost cathartic when he gets shot in the face by Hans Gruber. Um, but like just what he does in short, such a short span. I, I remember from my childhood thinking like. Like to the point where you know talking about Lost, like William Atherton shows up on Lost, and I'm like, for one episode, and I'm like, holy shit, that's William Atherton. He's like 1980s, like biggest asshole from movies like Die Hard. I totally forgot about like Ellis and like what a fucking prick he is, <laughs> and like how like he like should be getting like an Olympic gold medal for being an asshole in this movie. Um, God bless you, sir. You're like the Frank T.J. Mackey of just like coke snorting bearded jerks in this movie. All right. Well, number four, I have Holly McLean. She could maybe be higher, but I don't know. I mean, I like my top three as well. I mean, they're all, these are all pretty bunched up here. Like, I really liked all these characters. Um, Holly McLean slash Gennaro. She's just like not taking any shit through the whole movie. Like, I, I feel like the movie never really kind of betrays her as a character. Um, she gets to stay consistent. She isn't like the bad guy because she wanted to to work in an office or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I have her as number three um, for very similar reasons. Like I, I like that you brought up a, a good modern day juxtaposition of like uh, 
the Bryce yeah Bryce Dallas Howard's character in in Jurassic Park who's like literally punished and shamed <laughs> and like beaten down for having the audacity to have like any kind of career ambitions and not having a baby um and a man um but yeah and I like I don't know there's literally no shame in the fact that she has like a nanny that Holly has a nanny at home that's taking care of her kids like the kids are being taken care of and that's what matters and um you know even even like I go to work and people are like, where are your children? I'm like, why aren't you asking their dad that? Like, that's mm-hmm. never a thing. So, yeah. um, right. uh, I really, I don't know. I really liked the, she wasn't just a working woman. She was a working mom. And like you said, she got to stay consistent. She was never villainized for having ambition, which, um, as we see in both reality and in film that happens a lot to women. Uh, and I like, I love that she went back to her maiden name. Like, fuck you. You don't, you don't want to come out here. I'm not using your name. You don't, your name does not get to be on top of my success. Like, so big fan. I wish I could have put her higher, but I, my, my number one and number two, I really couldn't have. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, yeah, we, we can kind of guess what, you, what everyone's number one and number two is. So I'm going to do a last minute audible and change my number three to was John McClane. Was it also Ellis? No, I already did my Ellis. <laughs> I know, just kidding. Um, my number three is now going to be John McClane. Um, okay. My number three is going to be John McClane for all of the reasons why Raquel just mentioned how fantastic Holly is. All right. Yeah. Uh, I've got Sergeant Al Powell at number three. I like Powell. Like, He's so he's like a perfect foil for John to like have these kind of like manly heart to heart with, you know, like he's he immediately trusts John as soon as he starts talking to him just because like cop intuition uh, and he sticks around through the end and, you know, learns to kill again. Uh, big fan of Al. I, I was surprised that I don't know, maybe he's busy on family matters or something that they didn't work him in more to the sequel. Um, just gave him a phone call. But good job, Papa Winslow. Yeah. Uh, my my number two is John McClane. Uh, I mean, it is his movie. Like you know, he's he's the star. So I know. <laughs> I, I assume that someone would put him at number one, if not both of you. But um, but I just had to. I, I don't know. He he is an asshole to to Holly, which I don't think that that makes him like forever an asshole. Um, especially if you singularly look at this film and you don't look at any of the sequels. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I mean, he, the whole like reluctant hero thing, I think that he plays that really well. I think that he is probably a man that is not really fond of himself. Um, and that's like something that he's like struggling with to make sure that he's like making the right calls, uh, when he has all of these people's lives in his hands. Um, I don't know. He's, He's very Bruce Willis does a very good job of of playing this character. I think it's one of his uh, his best performances um, in like this type of role. You know, when he's trying to like have that mix of humor and um, and action. So good job, John McClane. Thank you for saving the day. But you're still number two. <laughs> yeah, um, my number two. Uh, will be Holly. Um, and I switched them because of all the reasons you mentioned about these two characters. Uh, I think Holly like almost deserves it more just because 
John McClane would be number two for so many movies. Um, and this is like obviously like quintessential like Bruce Willis role uh, of this and maybe like Hudson Hawk. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Which I have an unabashed, bizarre love for of that movie. But um, I feel like no, you're you not know, alone in that regard. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a fantastic movie. It's, uh, it's a good movie. Yeah, it's a it's a good movie. Um, this is going to be entirely a Bruce Willis podcast after this. Uh, I wish it was a Bonnie Bedelia podcast, but um, yeah, my 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 number two will be Bonnie Bedelia. It'll be Holly Holly Gennaro. Um, John McClane is great. He's not an idiot. He's kind of an asshole, without a doubt. I feel bad to. Um, I totally forgot the listener's name. I had her name written down. I think it's Emily who said John McClane's her boyfriend. Please don't be mean to him. Um, oh yeah, great, I saw that. <laughs> he's a great action hero, especially in the era of the fucking Slys and Arnolds and uh, uh, Steven Seagal's and shit like that. Like this is your blue collar guy with the weird hairline and what have you. Um, but I'm glad we have Hollies in this character. I'm glad that she's not just like the the girlfriend or the wife or the be careful John character. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm switching my two only because of how powerful uh, Raquel's mentions were uh makes me makes me proud yeah her name was emily by the way that said that um yes. i just looked at the headcanon twitter and i noticed that you guys <coughs> tweeted um uh, at resident 901 that was she was like i'm watching die hard prep for the head had to be a episode. friend of yours right i don't know her but she follows me on twitter but 901 is like that's the area code that that i live in so oh. um so what up hey memphis so <laughs> super proud that i've somehow like by my twitter like following like, his... uh, like a memphis celebrity oh god no Mm-mm. no no i uh, we have we definitely have like memphis twitter like celebrities there's like a handful of them where it's like they have like you know several thousand followers and everyone like tries to go out when they're going out to see them um like marcus which... mariota yeah. Um, but that's always like the people that go to all of the all the Grizzlies games, our our NBA team. We have the less weird looking Gasol brother um on our hmm. team. So debatable. Uh anyway, my number two <laughs> is John McClain. Um I mean John, I feel like you could draw a straight line from uh Han Solo to John McClain and like your evolution of the Hollywood hero, you know, definitely deep into the reluctant hero territory here. I mean, for the next like 20 years, like, you know, lead characters in action movies would be based on John McClane. Um, so I think you got to give it up for that. And he just gets the crap beat out of him. You know, I mean, that's, I feel like that's like the key to his performance. He's not some sort of like fighting kung fu master or anything like that. He just takes abuse like nobody's business, but something, you know, you literally can't die easily. But like, not in the creepy way in which like Mel Gibson took abuse in like the Lethal Weapon movies, like constantly like popping yeah, his arm I mean back he's a shoulder, so you know um, exactly nation of criminals. But um, like, can you imagine? Like, I like how you mentioned Han Solo, and and can you imagine if like Joseph Gordon-Levitt walked out of Zoe Deschanel's apartment in Five Hundred Days of Summer and like John McClane no, dead him? Does not work at all. <laughs> that would be totally different. Yeah. Mm. Um, my number one. Yes, please. <laughs> oh, I wonder who it is. <laughs> I, yeah, I wonder. <laughs> what if it was like a super curveball, and you guys were like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> You're like Richard Thornburg. <laughs> <laughs> By all means, surprise us then. 
no, no surprises. Um, especially if you follow me on Twitter, uh, Hans Gruber, like number one with a bullet. Um, just, I, I cannot begin to fathom how this is possibly like Alan Rickman's first film performance. And he nails like, I mean, he was a theater actor for a long time before that, but like the technical part of film, I think takes a lot of people a long time to nail. Uh, and he just does it. And, um, you know, there's, he wasn't by any means like the first like smart villain or the first like likable villain, but he definitely made, he raised that bar, I think, um, for every, especially going into like the late eighties, early nineties and of this like new era of action movies. Um, anyone that wasn't a bond villain, you know, um, but he didn't seem purely evil. He was that sophisticated villain. He's not a monster, you know. He's gonna get a couch for the pregnant lady. Like I feel yeah. like if you made this movie now, John or Hans Gruber would just like shoot the pregnant lady so she wouldn't be a problem or something insane like that. Because you know it'd be hardcore now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and ultimately, like, so, like, there's there's a back and forth, too, where they're, like, called terrorists or thieves, and, like, they're they're ultimately thieves because, like, their, their motives are purely financial. Like, mm-hmm. of course, you know, they make peace with the fact that they may kill some people along the way, and, like, that's okay. Like, collateral damage is okay to them, but they don't have, like, these weird, twisted, like, maniacal motivations. It's not like they're part of some weird religious cult or, yeah. like— they hate that, you know, they, it's not racist targeting of a Japanese company or anything crazy. Like it's they those, just want the money. Those John Phillips suits in London do not come cheap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's purely, I mean, like he's not pure evil. He just wants some money and that's the way that he's going to get it. Um, but no, I mean, I like, fan, like absolutely a fantastic character. I was sad when he like he was the character that i was sad when he died because i was like oh if they did make a sequel like like he's the villain that you'd want to come back over and over again and to provide like a constant like foil for john mm-hmm. hence the third one in which his brother is the villain yeah <laughs> um i guess uh, for my number one i mean i'm not very good at this impression but uh now i have a machine gun her her her. Yeah, it's it's Hans Gruber, without a doubt. This is a Hans Gruber podcast. Like it's I think we said at the beginning, we would have been okay if Hans Gruber, like if he was sipping a, a drink of an umbrella and a straw on it to end on a beach, <laughs> like if he had somehow survived, we would totally be okay with that. Um he is this incredibly passionate portrayal of this film, this interesting, like likable, charismatic character. Um, I love just the fact that we get the media like resume of he's like from this like German terrorist faction. And then like immediately afterwards, when he's like naming off like the various brothers that he wants released as part of his demands, he's just like, I read about them in time magazine. You know, <laughs> I love that. He's like, he's basically telling you, I'm not, a, I'm not even remotely what you think I am. And I don't have any desire to, to prove it to you, to explain myself. You know what I mean? Like he has no stupid monologue about his family being killed by American military intervention or whatever. He's almost like he's aware of the tropes of the terrorist who takes hostages and is kind of like smirking at the things he he does the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, obviously he's my number one as well. Hans Gruber just completely owns the movie. And in a way I can see that this was his first movie ever just because he's so 
alive like you could see how maybe like somebody who'd done a bunch of movies already wouldn't bring the kind of you know originality to this performance they'd be too used to doing movies or something um just i don't know i love everything he does in this movie i guess he was a stage actor but he really does a great job selling like subtle moments you know it's not like he, he's not like he ha- is going big all the time and you know selling into the back seats uh, a lot of great subtle work between him and Holly and just him meeting with John. Oh man. I, I love his fake accent so much. His fake American accent. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Don't kill me. Yeah. I just want to see an entire movie of Alan Rickman doing every accent that he can possibly do, you know, like, cause the reason that they wrote that in there too, is because he has, uh, he had such a, like an affinity for accents. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But, yep. Hans Gruber's movie. Sorry, John. Yeah. Well, <laughs> fitting to close out our 2016 headcanon podcast with Hans Gruber is number one, I'd say. Mm. RIP Alan Rickman. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, on that dour note. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thanks. Benji. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Raquel. I feel like I learned a lot today about, like, Carl Ashley, for instance. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Um, Always a pleasure. Sorry to all the listeners that we went so wildly off topic, but, you know, it happens. Well, at any given moment, me and Marco can start talking about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. So not surprising (laughs) we start talking in this movie. Like at any given, I like that. That's like at any point, like we, like your friends will have to be like on the alert. They're like, oh fuck, that's the signal. They're going to talk about Robin Hood. I mean, not to be any more phallocentric than our podcasts usually be, but we did talk about Star Wars in a podcast yesterday. And the recurring question was, does Darth Vader even have a dick at this point? Yeah. Unclear. Uh, uh, <laughs> so I have says. I, I I may or may not have had that conversation. Uh, the prequels came out when I was in like middle school and high school, and I may or may not have had that conversation with my uh, with all of my girlfriends. Be like, but it, his dick definitely got burned off, right? Like, like. <laughs> so uh, we were Here's all what I'm saying firmly He's lost on at the least camp. An inch. <laughs> you have to wonder what Hayden Christensen had to work with and to begin with anyway right. so oh, wow well uh, you know who we literally need to below the Rachel Bilson yeah uh yeah that's summer uh, <laughs> oh, we're doing Seth and Summer right now there you go but yes thank you for having me always always a pleasure um next you know when you guys do your in the land of women podcast <laughs> i i'm extending my request to be involved in that right now um yeah you got it definitely yeah uh people can find you on loose lips sync ships is that right yeah uh yeah our twitter twitter handle is loose lips pod um but you know we have a website loose lips sync ships.com wow you say that so easily i feel like i'm gonna screw it up every time well i say it like a lot more than you mm, probably yeah. <laughs> 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 you'd be surprised uh but yeah thanks for joining us it was a lot of fun i'm glad we did this this is a great way to end the year and uh yep. we'll be back not right away but sometime in january i'm sure we'll be back for more headcanon yep what are you guys doing next 
not decided yet. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to give Marco a, a list of uh, of franchises and, and see which one causes him the most pain, and then we'll go from there. Which yeah, one makes he, him actually cry? <laughs> uh, he did throw out a trilogy that made me weep before Rogue One. Yeah. Yeah. It was mm. The Hobbit. Yeah. Oh my god. What? I uh, I dry heaved. Uh I please don't do that. <laughs> in a in a 10 p.m. movie showing full of douchey white guys in hoodies, I was like, ooh. <laughs> well, oh, to be continued. God. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh thanks and uh Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy, Happy. Yeah, I was gonna say happy holidays. Sorry, sorry. I forgot we're having a war on Christmas. Happy holidays, everyone. Yep. <laughs> Bye-bye.